What's happening, weirdos? Val's here. Hi. <laughs> uh, we we just wrapped crashing on Sunday. Yesterday. Monday. Oh my God! Yesterday. It's Tuesday. You're listening to this on Wednesday. But our yesterday, your day before yesterday, <laughs> we just wrapped crashing. So it's crazy. It's we're we're done. It was amazing. We finished the last shoots in uh, two days of shooting in South Carolina, which was incredible. No spoilers. He goes to South Carolina. Tell I just said. Oh, no spoilers. No spoilers. Val's eight months pregnant. Spoiler. <laughs> They've stopped. They've stopped comparing the apps that compare the baby to sizes of fruit no longer apply because it's just a small baby at this point. It's just a tiny baby. It's the size of a small baby. And we feel her moving all the time and it's crazy and amazing and we're super excited and it's a month away. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll hear, you'll hear, <laughs> you'll hear all, all about it on the show, I'm sure. For right now, you're going to hear something I recorded at the beginning of the summer. As you know, we've been going once a month, but now that we're wrapped, I'm going to slowly but surely, maybe even... Now, I'm not sure. If not now, very, very, very soon, get to once a week. Um, because as we talk about in this podcast, I will be with Ramdas next week, which will be crazy. So I won't be doing an episode next week because I'll be chilling with Ramdas. What? So I'll tell you all about that. That's going to be amazing, I'm sure. This is Nate Staniforth. Nate is an amazing magician. If you want to watch one of the most incredible uh, magic tricks I've ever seen in my life, we talk a little bit about it in this episode. Go on YouTube, type in Nate Staniforth lottery trick. It's really, really simple. It's short, um, and it's amazing. I literally stay up at night trying to think of different ways he could do it, and I've come up with nothing other than straight wizardry. wizardry. Um, he's the author of a book that I love uh, called Here is Real Magic. Um, he sent me a copy because we did a show together, and I tore through it. It's such a good book. It's so interesting. It's about wonder. It's a little bit about magic, but it's really just about finding magic in the everyday, which is something I think you guys know I'm very passionate about. So check out Here is Real Magic. It's a wonderful read, an easy read, a fun read, um, and he's a wonderful writer. We talk all about it. Let's get to it. Uh, we do want to mention the Pete's Picks, which have saved me this summer. I'm wearing one of my Pete's Picks right now, which are me undies. Uh, you guys know this story. I've told it a couple times. I just, I'm a grown, I'm a grown man. Yeah. And I was, t- <laughs> I looked at Valerie, right? Yeah, sure. And I'm, t- I was just tired. I realized that I got bummed out when I put on like loose, terrible, old underwear. And I had heard about me undies on other podcasts. So I was like, I'm just going to do a complete undies overhaul. And today is pink with penguins. Like a grown man. Like a, like a grown man. It's made from micro-modal fabric, which is three times softer than regular cotton. They fit amazing. They feel amazing. They have extra cool, fun, like pink penguin patterns that put me in a good mood first thing in the morning. Um, and they release fun prints each month in matching socks and bralettes. Bralettes? Yeah. What's that? I think it's like a... A small bra? It's like a bra-ish. It's It's like like, a bra-ish. It's like a thin, comfortable bra. From Kenya Barris. (laughs) (laughs) Bra-ish. He he made blackish. You also get a matching pair. You can even get matching pairs with partners, uh, which is, you know, we're getting very close to being too adorable, but sometimes that happens. Val and I are wearing the same MeUndies. They have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. 
I love them. I'm so happy that I did it. That's why I reached out to them. They didn't reach out to us. I was like, I would like you to be a Pete's pick. And they said, absolutely. And now you can even be a member so you can level up your top drawer with new undies each month. Members gain exclusive access to prints that no one else gets. They get special member pricing on every product on the MeUndies market. And you can switch styles or skip any month you want. Also, if you just want to buy some, member or no, you get 15% off and free shipping. It's a no-brainer. 15% off the most comfortable undies you'll ever put on. I have something to add. What's that? As I just folded all your underwear. Yeah. They're a delight to fold. Easy fold. They're like so nice to fold. They're made to fold. Yeah. They're made to wear number one. Number 1.5 is made to fold. Yeah, they're very stackable. I've noticed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Good, love And it. because we just pack, because we're going back to L.A., mm-hmm. easy to pack. Easy to pack. Good to wrap around an Xbox. Oh. That's something you don't hear on other podcasts. <laughs> so go to meundies.com <laughs> slash, the free podcast slash weird. That's meundies.com slash weird. Uh, 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go check your bath. Go check your bath. Um, she's pregnant and she's taking a bath, you guys. Um, the other Pete's Fix, which I also swore by this summer, when we were shooting, I just, I couldn't live without them. My makeup person, Brenna, always had these in her bag for me. So she'd have my makeup and she'd also have my Alpha Brain and my Charlotte's Web. You guys know these are two products that I swear by and I want you to try them. Alpha Brain is a new atropic. It's made from earth-grown ingredients. It's uh, like food for your brain. I like saying fish food for your brain. Fish food for your ideas. Helps you concentrate. Helps you focus. Helps you work. It's wonderful. It's not a stimulant like coffee. In fact, I sometimes take some at at bedtime to give me far-out dreams. Helps me with meditating. Helps me with writing. Helps me with stand-up. Helps me with podcasts. Honestly, sometimes I just take them before Val and I go out to eat just so I won't be a bore. Right, Val? What? Yep. (laughs) So Alpha Brain is wonderful. It comes in powder form, which I sometimes straight up just throw in my mouth because it gets into my blood so fast, or pill form, which I always have on me. Fans come up and sometimes ask me for some, and I I give it to them, which is weird. But if you want to buy some, go to onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird, and you'll get 10% off. And you'll also show your support of this podcast if you've ever wondered how you can give something back and get some, some brain stuff. Yeah. Also, Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. It's made from the hemp plant, but with science, they strip out the THC, leaving the CBD, which is the body-loving, brain-soothing, anxiety-reducing, pain-relieving, happiness-increasing wonder plant. <laughs> that I swear by. I when people ask me what it do, does, I always do the smallest smile thing. I'm just like it takes me from no smile to just the hint, a whisper of a smile. Um, makes me laugh easier. Makes me lighten up. Lowers my stress. Lowers social anxiety. All that sort of stuff. I take a little in the morning. I like the mint chocolate flavor. It tastes like a thin mint. It's made from hemp, but obviously it's legal. It's not a narcotic. It doesn't get you stoned. It doesn't get you high. It just sort of takes the edge off in this wonderful plant-based way. We also have them for dogs. We also have it for dogs, and we give it to Brody when he flies with us. We're giving it to him tomorrow. Val, you are so helpful with these Pete's picks. (laughs) Thank you. I saw it. We have his vest, his support animal vest, and to support our support animal, we give him some of the dog formula of CBD oil, and it really does calm him down. And then dad takes some of the human formula 
and it calms him down and makes that six-hour flight go a little bit better. So I love it. Really, the best thing to do is if you're even curious is to just try it. Ships to all 50 states legally. Go to cwhemp.com slash weird. Use promo code KEEPITCRISPY, and you'll get 10% off any of the fine products. They have bombs. They have pills. They have oils. I like the advanced or the everyday uh, plus. Those are the ones you're going to feel. Get those in you. Get into it. Nate Staniforth, Here's Real Magic, Valerie Pregnant, Crashing Season 3 Wrapped, We Just Packed. I took a shower because it was covered in dust. I'm worried my bag is too big and they're going to make me take stuff out and that's going to give me panic. But I have my pizza picks, so I'll be okay. I'll look down to my fun me undies. I'll take some Alpha Brain, think of a solution, and then I'll have some Charlotte's Web to calm down. That, that was good. That was very good. All right. And on a high note, get into it. What's up, brother? Nice to see you. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, Come on in. So I couldn't sleep last night. And How's I, that? I watched the... We're recording if that's okay. That's so funny. Look. Look, NACA's on my notes because I'm like, you had to have done NACA. It's brutal, man. That, Isn't that it? episode just nails it. It's, you think so? Yeah. I'm really happy to hear that. Did you, did you um, go the NACA route? I, I sure did, yeah. How many NACAs did you do? NACA, for those listening, 100. is the National... Association of College. I don't even know. I, I made a remember. show about yeah. it, and I still I don't remember I don't what know. it is. Um, but uh, so you you went and performed as a magician, magicians, comedians, yeah, and uh, musicians. Right? Did I say magicians first? I said uh, yeah. Yeah, it's good Are to start with the magicians. Magicians, right. <laughs> musicians, and comedians all go to this thing. Yeah, and just like on Crashing, you perform for. Hundreds of not regular people you perform for people that book college right. events, and you did this sometimes more successfully than others. Well, yeah, I, I did one where I booked zero, right? And then I did one where I booked 50, right? The 50 and you don't know where, going in. I mean, honestly, I did the same set, yeah. I did the same set, yeah. I can't. We tried, there was all this nuance that we had to cut out of the show. One was the idea, it was just too long, mm. so we had to cut a bunch of stuff. One was the idea that you want to go on earlier in the weekend. This oh, was like disgust. For sure. That they book up. Those poor bastards who perform on Saturday. It's done. Been... <laughs> it's done. It's like, it's complete luck of the draw. I started your book, Here is Real Magic, which I've already plugged on the show because I love it, um, talks about those moments where it's like either you're going to be a working performer yeah. or you're not. It's yeah. like match point. It's like the ball is right on the net and it could go either way. Right. And one of those times that it could go either way is NACA. If you pull early and perform on like Thursday yeah. at noon, that's great because right. they're all jazzed up. And you've got a, then a year's worth of work. And you book a year of right. work, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. If, if you're an expensive – I wasn't. I was like pulling in about 1000 for show. Yeah. So I made $50,000. Still a huge deal. Sure. But if you pulled Saturday, Sunday or whatever, you, all the kids were so enthusiastic that they would spend all their budgets in the first couple days. Right. A, a little discussion you know, strategy would go a long way. Right. <laughs> I, I studied in Israel – uh, one semester when I was in college and the first day I got there, I knew I was going to be there for five months. Yeah. I was like, I was too excited to go to the bazaar, you know, just the <laughs> shopping area. But it is what you're picturing. It looked like a little bit like Aladdin, I suppose, uh, in that they were like these like built in stores, like each one was equal shape and size. And I went in and I bought a hookah and I spent like, uh, like $80 on it. And I knew I was being stupid 
And that's kind of what they do at NACA. They go out and buy a hookah the first <laughs> night when they know if they just wait, they might see a better hookah. Right. It's even cheaper. Right. That's not as exciting. But that brings us uh, – I'm so happy to see you. I called Rich Summer, who I told you, yeah. from Mad Men, who yeah. loves your book. And um, and we were both he – he wishes he could be here. I'm so stoked to talk to you. And then I started thinking about you this morning. And, I, and you – this is what happened for people listening. I'm chatting a lot, but we're going we're gonna to get to you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you can do it. <laughs> you send me a book, right? Which um, happens from time to time, maybe a couple times a month. Somebody will send a book, and I almost never read it. But I liked your title; it's called "Here's Real, Real Magic." I didn't remember your name, but I just it just made its way to the car. Not not that I'm Mister Show Business, but this is another one of those like it could have gone either way. Sure. I sometimes give them away or I leave them at the studio or whatever. I took it home. So I made it to the car. Then it's in the car for a month. <laughs> then it makes it in the house. And then one of those magic afternoons, you're sitting on the couch and you're bored and you don't feel like doing anything but reading. And, th- and there's a book. Right. Like, this in- bright yellow book just waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good cover. Good cover. It is a good cover. It's a good cover. They nailed it with a the cover. They nailed it with a cover and a great title. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm like, okay, somebody who listens to the podcast sent this to me and they know that I like wonder it, what is the subtitle of the book do you remember a uh, magician's yeah. search for wonder in the modern world yeah there you go yeah okay so i love magic right i wrote this book for you Pete. <laughs> it seems that way i love magic i love wonder yeah. and it's beautifully well written I, I wrote you an email saying that it's just so well written that i st- i just kind of picked up on a lark and uh and i just started reading it and i was i just couldn't stop reading it right it's unbelievable. I'm sure you've heard this many times. But you in the note said that we had met. And I remembered this morning when we met, I'm pretty sure, and I want to run this by you. Okay. I think we did this college together, speaking of NACA. So we're both booking colleges on NACA. And this is 2006, 2007. That sounds about that. Right. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Which means I was still married okay. for the first time. And correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm, I'm willing to be embarrassed, but I think... We were in a gymnasium. We were. It no! Was, it was in something like, <laughs> it was somewhere in Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, that sounds Oshkosh right. Oshkosh or Kenosha. But yeah. It was a big gymnasium. And it was a big show. There were 1,400 people there. It was huge. That's one of the things you don't know about college touring, by the way. One show, it's 13 people literally in the elevator bank. Right. The next night, it's 5,000 people. And you're like, what? And you don't often know before you, you don't get know. to campus. Yeah. I still, as I fall asleep, the the images of the places I perform flash through my mind like weird, random memories of someone else's life. I'm like, oh, yeah. Right. And this one made me nervous. <laughs> like, it was a big ass. It was like half the auditorium. So so here's here's how it happened from my perspective. So yeah. we, we both had an hour, and we shared a green room. We had different dressing rooms, but we shared, like, this common green room. Uh-huh. And uh, I was about to go on, and I walked back in the green room to get my show, which for a magician is like a, big deal. a couple of magazines, there's oh. a phone book, there's a deck of cards, yeah. and, and you are hunched over my show, and I, you hear the door open, and you spin around, and, and you have this look of just red, red-handed guilt, and you're like, Nate, I'm sorry, I'm going to be honest, I was going to shuffle your cards because I wanted to know if it would fuck everything up. <laughs> I was like, no, I never would have done it. Don't fucking I shovel, never the, cards. shovel the cards. That's I, I, I guarantee I didn't mean it, but I guarantee I was also very uh, interested. Yeah, I went time open for Martin Short and the Glick, you know, Jimmy mm-hmm. Glick. The Glick mask was backstage, and okay. it's one of the privileges of being in show business is you can hover over and look at the Glick mask just melting on a on a mannequin head. Yeah, so I'm looking at your stuff. And I said, I wonder if I, if I shovel these, it'll fuck it up. Yeah, and something like yes. that. Yeah, and that was a great moment. 
And that's one of the things I liked about you then and now is there's this new there's this new um, regime of comedian uh, magicians yeah. that go out and you really go out of your way to be like fucking relax. Right. <laughs> and I remembered it from then. Yeah. This started coming back to me because I was watching videos of you performing this morning, and that's what triggered the memory. And let me tell you a very specific thing I remember. <laughs> and this is so Nate Stanavorth, you're going to love it. You had everybody, I'm going to be embarrassed if I'm wrong, but I'm almost positive. You had everybody take out their phones, mm. and it was dark. Yeah. And you were like, pick up your phone and raise it above your head with the screen on. And for a moment, I, you were going second. Everybody had their phone above their head. Yeah. And you said, this is the only part of the show you're going to remember. Yeah. And I think I thought about that yeah. once a year. Yeah, it's like fireflies at night. For hundreds of years. <laughs> for hundreds of years. And for dozens of years. Yeah. I've thought about that like at least once a year. Because yeah. you were right. Yeah. You were doing these amazing things. And yet all I remembered was the firefly, the starry night kind of effect of something we could have done, but we just needed a reason. Right. And you did it. Right. And that's like, kind of what your book is You about. can do magic without doing tricks. That's right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you did impossible things. And this is kind of going to be something we talk about, I imagine, this whole conversation. That's fine. I, I like is, magic a lot. <laughs> is, is, is it the trick? Does the trick matter? Because you did something that was real. I don't stay up at night wondering if we really had cell phones on us. Right. But it still made me feel way before I got into being present or, or be trying to live in the moment. Right. You snapped me into the moment. You snapped all of us into the moment with something free and easy and completely trick-free, no strings. Right. And that's, you know, I think that's that's the central conceit of the book. Yeah. The, the, it's a book about wonder. It's not a book about magic. It's just coming at it from the perspective of a magician. But I feel like the job of a magician is to help break people out of wherever they are and bring to bring them to this place where they can they can feel that wonder and yeah. astonishment and yeah. you can do that with with illusions but you can also just do it with um you know showmanship or or theatrical tactics that fuse people to the present moment that That's pull right. them out of their heads and and make them just stop for a second and 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 be yeah. rather than um there's the there's the David Blaine rather than thinking about what you're going to do next yeah. or thinking about what you've already done right or what, what you ate or what you will eat. Right. <laughs> Did you like what you ate? It's one of the things I've been thinking about. Like Inst Instagram kind of turns the world into binary, which you look at it. Everything's an image and everything's an account. So I follow you on Instagram, let's yeah. say. There's Nate Stanforth. And there he is kind of digitally represented. And there's your life. And then the choices that I have for you are like or don't like. So ignore or like, really. Right. Spurn it's, or love. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's, yeah. It's exactly right. So we're both playing this game, but we're reducing the world into good or bad. And this is, this is the plague of the brain. Yeah. Was that good or was it bad? Right. Did he fool me or didn't he fool me? But couldn't it be third thing? And, and having us put the phones above our head is like a third thing thing. Yeah. Like I would never click on a, a YouTube video called people holding cell phones above their heads. No, you never. It, be, <laughs> and it, wouldn't, it might not work in the same way. It wouldn't know? work. But, but, but that's I, my point is we don't know what we need. Right. We don't know what we need. Yeah. So sometimes you need a magician or a wonder salesperson yeah. or giver to come up and go like, I, you came here because you think I have your card in my shoe. I mean, I think, I think part <laughs> of it really, is you can find it anywhere. You know, it's, yes! more about, it's more about how you look than where you look and remembering to look. You know, as adults, we get really good at making things ordinary, making the world manageable. That's what your brain does. And... 
And my favorite moments are those that, that break me out of that and force me to wake up and pay attention for a minute. Well, you had that great moment in the book where you go out into the country. Yeah. I have a joke about this, about how we're on a planet. Yeah, I love that joke. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm, sick of ta- I'm sick of not talking about it. Yeah. It's basically the premise. And you live that. And the crazy thing is, is sometimes I look at the moon and I, you know, that feeling where everything just kind of, you were, you know, uh, a glass of iced tea with, uh, with sugar and it got stirred up and everything's moving. And then for one second, you're just a still glass of iced tea and yeah. you're looking at the moon and you're like, fuck, we're floating in infinity. Right. But the trick is then sometimes you look at the moon and you just go, I'm horny, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. Like it's the same moon. You changed your ability to perceive change. So you went out in the field and you felt that sort of, I mean, it's beautiful. How you yeah. It. When I was a kid, I mean, I, it was the first time I'd ever seen the Milky Way. There's a meteor shower and my, my parents woke me up in the middle of the, I mean, it was probably only nine or 10, but it felt like the middle of the night yeah. to me. I was seven The middle six. of our night. Right. <laughs> the six-year-old night. And they drove my brother and sister and I out to the middle of the cornfields to look at this meteor shower. And it was the first time I had ever seen the stars outside of a town. Because even a small town has enough light pollution to wash out most of the stars. Yeah. But when you get out in the middle of nowhere in Iowa, it's just black. You can see forever. Yeah. And, and I, was, I was struck with this just overpowering disorientation of, of realizing two things – that everything in the entire world was behind me, that I was lying on the ground and I was, you know, I was on the planet, but I was just clinging on for dear life because I'm at the very edge of of the earth. Yeah. You're on the edge. It's like a, can I, it's like Arrival. I love the movie Arrival. Did you see it? No. It doesn't matter. There's a flying saucer and it comes to the earth and it just parks like that. Like we're used to flying saucers landing. Right. Like putting the bottom of the saucer on the oh, earth, it comes in vertically. But it just comes in ver- what we perceive as vertically, because to it, it just came up to the edge of it, That's to the front of it. Very clever detail. Why would it park in our <laughs> gravity? Right? Like you think it's just like an interesting thing, but you're like, no, think about it from their perspective. They just hit a wall. Yeah. That is us. And I've had the same thing that you had. I was on mushrooms, but I was gripping the earth, and I was like, infinity yeah. is in front of me. Right. Like, right. that's... Forever. That's what forever looks like. It's right out it's there. It's right in front of yeah. you. And we're never talking or thinking about the it. The thing I love about your planet joke is I feel like it, it does what a good piece of magic does, which mm. forces the audience to drastically and unexpectedly recontextualize the way they feel about their orientation. Right. You know, and, I yell, and... zoom out. <laughs> right. <It's... laughs> yeah, zoom out. But that you zoomed out. Yeah. And that's what the moment is. Yeah. Like, the, in the moment when we're still, cell phones over the head... We suddenly realize that we have room for these feelings, but they're not very useful in our modern society. Right. Like we don't have, that's maybe what India has more of a, more spaces, more cubbies for those feelings and stuff. We're so consumeristic and it's like, is it a value? Can you get something out of it? If you can navel gaze and look at infinity, okay, but can you turn that into a product? <laughs> See, so here's, here's what I would say about though. I feel like it, it's sort of like exercise where you can go for a run and not feel the benefits of, of that immediately. But if you do it cumulatively over a year, you certainly will. And if you don't do it cumulatively over a year, you will also feel that. Yeah. It's not so much that, that making space for those moments um, it gives you something of value immediately. Yeah. But, but over time, if you don't do that, you know, it will find you anyway. Yeah. And, and you'll be sorry you missed it. And I think that's, that's, one of, that's, that's the deathbed thing. Yeah. Is I don't want to be on my deathbed and go, 
I got so lost. Illusion's a very mystical word, but I got so lost in, let's use it, in the illusion of, do they like me? Uh, What do I need with this sandwich? Will I be late for work? The day-to-day stuff. The day-to-day baloney. (laughs) It's, it's It's a game. It's a dance. It's a play. But if you get so locked in the idea that it's all about... I, I say this all the time, my dad wearing a, a new Hard Rock ja- Hard Rock Cafe jacket. Mm. If we're just collecting Hard Rock Cafe jackets, I think we're not being quiet enough to see what's really going on, which is your feeling on your back in a cornfield. Right. That is, I'm going to use the word sex, that's real like sex with For the sure. universe, with everything. Right. And it's so much more vital because it strips away, in that moment... I have to imagine you weren't a brother or a son or a, or an Iowan. Yeah. You were just a you would what is it what you're, did all that mean? You're not consciously being anything. You're not you're being just, anything. So so this is I mean so I bring everything back to magic just cuz that's where I come from. But I couldn't be happy. But one of the things I I love about a moment of really great magic is it makes everyone stop performing for everyone else for a second because everyone you know if we're honest and i do this too and i'm sure you do it and everybody does it we're, we all spend our days sort of radiating the vibe that we want the world yeah. to pick up ba- down to the clothes you wear the words you choose the way you walk the way you carry yourself Dude, i don't sit like this when i'm alone <laughs> i'm sitting in my listening pose i put on pants you know I, i'm totally with you it's right it's like a show you put is on too harsh it sounds like you're being fake right but why sometimes i wonder why is doing the podcast exhausting certainly i'm listening but i'm also playing me yeah more right i'm performing this is the engaged pete this is engaged Pete. sometimes (laughs) people meet me and they want engaged pete and they realize i'm tired pete on a plane pete right like you talk about on your book and uh and that's a disappointment but like when we're struck with a is this your card moment go on yeah it just suddenly there's no room for that when you see something that is impossible you you stop performing you stop consciously being anything and you're just open and exposed and and Mm. um that that is a really beautiful thing to see and it's a beautiful thing to feel too you know to be relieved for a moment of that burden of maintaining the facade that ramdas we're gonna talk about ramdas a lot ramdas talked about when you're about to be in a car accident Mm. you're not horny (laughs) (laughs) i think that's a very interesting that's true yeah you know what but i mean you didn't try to not be horny You didn't go like, stop being horny, that's bad. You just had other things on your brain. So when you see a miracle or you see something that doesn't compute, it's a little bit like being naked and cold <laughs> just for a second. Yeah. And you put all these other things aside and you really have to wonder, is the universe what I thought it was? Because yeah. we have all these memories of the universe being what we thought it was. I've done tons of tests about gravity and what this food tastes like and what it's like when you wave or smile at somebody. But really, we're always constantly, we're right in the flame of the moment. It's right now. It's burning right now. We have the data of before, but there's a potential in the moment to disrupt all that data. And that's what a magician does. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You go like... And, and a car crash. And skydiving. And, and sex. Why, and right. art. Magic should feel more like the time you jumped out of an airplane than the time you saw a movie. Like, those are fundamentally different experiences. Beautiful. And That's it. And, you know, on stage, that's my responsibility. It's not to entertain the It's really not to entertain them. Right. It's, it's to give them that visceral, wild... Yeah. Uh, overpowering experience of, of astonishment. And be, because here's what you learn, that, that if you can do that, 
You don't need music. You don't need dancing. You don't need a smoke machine. If the audience wants comedy, they should see your show. If they want <laughs> special effects, they should see Star Wars, right? right a right, magician, right. a magician gives people the experience of wonder and everything else is just wrapping paper. And isn't it sad? Maybe not sad. Maybe it's interesting that, and this is something you deal a lot with in the book, is that we've kind of run out of, we don't generate it ourselves anymore. Yeah. Kids play all day. and then we start hearing whispers of cash or uh power or responsibility responsibility. there there are sort of pure reasons to be distracted from it too i'm thinking of like the grosser ones but you're absolutely right right after someone stops feeding you you're feeding yourself you're feeding your own right now you're feeding your family or whatever so wonder starts to go out right so then we have we're almost like prostitutes or sex workers. Let's be positive. I, not, I don't want to. It's going great so I'm not, far. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not putting down sex workers. I'm saying we're like sex workers in that you should be coming along free range sex. It should be happening. Mm. In a perfect bohemian world, we would be in a cafe right now reading a book and having some red wine and things just lead to one to another with the waitress or, or with somebody who comes in who's just in town for two days and you make love all afternoon and it's one of the best days of your life and when you're old, you remember it. Is that how you right? normally record the podcast? That's okay. normally where we do it. I'm sorry we're doing it's it in right. this very sterile, sexless environment. But you see what I'm saying is like that's how sex should be, but that isn't how it is and sex is a need, a spiritual need, a, a, a real thing. Right. Like. I learned that when I got divorced, jerking off doesn't do it. Like at a certain point, you need like frightened rabbits as human heat. You need like intimacy. It's a need, um, at least for me. So then it's like also wonder is, is that sort of thing. In a perfect world, would be in that same bohemian cafe and would see something remarkable. It wouldn't have to be a manufactured illusion. Right. And maybe in this ideal world, it wouldn't, right? Exactly. Like maybe... You, know, you hear those stories about in South America, they watch the sun do something impossible. Yeah. Like hundreds of people watch the sun move very quickly from left to right or something. Like miracles. You read about these in like Catholic literature. Like it was a real miracle. Stuff like that maybe didn't happen, maybe did. Maybe it felt like it happened. Who knows? But you had your wonder and your sex free range and these things were coming to you. Like spring water in the ground. You just found water. Now we buy water. And now we buy wonder. Right. It wells up naturally somewhere and they bottle it. And, and they bottle it and they sell it. Right. They figured out how to sell the feeling of wonder. And you are the sex worker who <laughs> sells wonder. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm the sex worker who sells yeah. – wouldn't it be nice to um, to to you know be snowed in with a funny old friend right. who tells you stories? Right. Like I mean that – it used to be free. It should be free. In summer camp, it was free. Yeah. In summer camp, we did magic tricks for one another just because it was fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm sure, I'm sure you understand that. So the, the original question I was going to say was, is it or how do you feel that, that we've kind of lost that space for wonder? We don't, our, our fathers didn't teach us, I'm going to guess, my dad didn't, how to just have basic wonder. Let, let me come at it this way. Do you ever read the book uh, A Lesson Before Dying by Ernest Gaines? No. Okay. So this is a book you should read. And and I don't want to talk about the book at all, but but here's the one of the things I was thinking about afterwards. I think you can divide all of human communication into two camps. And on one camp, the by far the biggest camp, 
you have all of the stuff that we say and do and talk about and tell each other and tell ourselves almost all the time, the stuff that doesn't really matter. In the other camp, you have these few things, these few really small truths that we know but we don't want to talk about and we don't want to look at and we certainly don't want to share mm. because because they have so much weight to them. My My love of and fascination with magic is that for me, it is a very efficient way of communicating one of those real things, one of those things that 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 matters, that's, which, that's true. Which that, is? Which, which is that, that the universe and the world and the human heart are far bigger and far more mysterious and far wilder than we allow ourselves to acknowledge or even understand in, in day-to-day life. Mm. And, and so that... That presents a couple of different questions, you know, like why is that? Why is it so hard for us to it? Why is it so hard for us to, um, you know, remember once in a while how strange it is that there is something rather than nothing? Like I feel like all all wonder maybe can go back to that original question, like why? You know, we know a lot about what happened after the Big Bang, but we right. know we know nothing. Yeah, not just a little. We know nothing about why the big bang happened or what happened before that right like what where did all this shit come from this is so much harder to think about than just eating a burrito for sure right yeah yeah um so val and i were just talking about that the idea of the first cell the first single-celled organism yeah and it's like so it started eating and it's like why and it's like because it had the survival instinct it's the ambitious gene yeah and i was like oh i'm gonna use the word god it doesn't have to be Oh, God gives the ambition. Like, it's such a foregone conclusion that a thing that's alive would want to live. But that's a weird thing. Yeah. It's like saying, of course, Mario's suspenders are red in, in Super Mario Brothers. It's like, right. but what? Necessarily, <laughs> they're red. Yeah. Like, we start kind of analyzing it. Do you know, you know what I mean? It's like, of course it wants to be alive. It's a living thing. And living things have a survival instinct. Right. Why? Right. Why wouldn't it just die? Right. <laughs> Why? Right. Okay, so there were millions of them that did die, and then the ones that were ambitious did live. Had the survival. I get that. Right. But why did those ones want to, unless there was a fundamental desire for a itness to experience itself? And that's a fucking crazy trip to go down. Yeah. That's the why the Big Bang. Yeah. That's the only, that's as close as we can get is why the Big Bang is something uh, and uh, <laughs> wanted to uh, itself. Yeah. And we're it looking. Uh, Right. And that is fucking crazy. And that is, I wish my planet bit were better because we'd get into that, but that's what the podcast is for. No, it's great. I, I love it. And I, I love that each of, you know, I've been, I'm sure you've had this experience on the road where you just burn through podcasts and you burn oh, through yeah. audiobooks yeah. because, you know, I don't know if you travel with a crew now, but when I go out, I'm on my own. No, I'm on my own. And, and there are hours and hours and days just yeah. listening to Season three, we're going to you, – you captured – you really inspired me when I was reading your stories of being on the road because yeah. I was remembering – we did something similar, which was beans and rice and salsa. It's like a – Magic it? rule. Yeah. Magic rule. <laughs> it keeps us alive. Right. But going back to, to – mag- I, I don't want to – you were saying you burned through some of these podcasts. Oh, yeah. And listening, listening to you explore that with other guests. It's all I want to do, I guess, yeah. when I'm rested and fed. Um, <laughs> you then, you know, you're using, so you're saying 
one of the fundamental important camps, the lesson before dying yeah. things is like this awe oh, and this rapture. Yes. Here's where I was coming from with, with that reference. So as I was writing this book, um, I was thinking about, I've, so I have two young boys and I was thinking, what, what do I want them to know? Like what really matters? And of course there's the obvious things like you have to make a living, you have to be able to, you know, do right by the people who are depending on you. But I didn't want in those necessities to ignore this because I feel like this at the very end of life will matter so, so much. much and and just because it's easy to ignore doesn't mean you should ignore it. Right. And I guess there's like a peril. I, is that like the 1950s model? It's like too much navel gazing is, is not effective and it's not the time for that and we need to like – Build and grow, almost like a human body. It's like now we're growing as a country. We we need to put our heads down yeah. and, and focus. Uh, and now maybe we have the luxury to to ask more of these questions. Yeah, maybe so. Which again seems like India never really lost their vocabulary. The book has Nate going to India. We'll, we'll get to that. I think it's interesting though. Magic being a vehicle for. I don't want to. I don't think that I, I've interviewed a lot of magicians. So we're saying uh, uh, an illusion isn't real. We can say that. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I was going to call it fake, but that sounds like a mean word. It's like, but you're using something that's not. It's fiction. Is it's what fiction. it is. It's yeah. fiction. It's not real in the way that Tom Sawyer isn't real. <laughs> and that's a very real story. Um, but you're using fiction to rattle in us a place that's dormant but has a lot of real things. It's almost like you're shaking loose real important things, but your instrument is not real. Yeah. Right. Would you agree with that? For sure. When, when I was a little kid, the first piece of magic I ever learned was very simple. You put a coin in your hand, you close your hand, and when you open it, it's gone. It's a coin vanish. Yeah. But in the way that young children sometimes just become obsessed with things, whether it's sports or video games. I became obsessed with this coin trick. It was, I'd do it before school. I'd do it after school. I'd practice it during school under the desk. And, and there was a point where it didn't look like a trick. It looked like, like I was really good at it. It looked like magic. <laughs> so, so I did this for the kids at school. And, and you know, if you saw something out of context, out of the context of a magic show. If you're walking down the street and a trash can just starts floating away, right? You wouldn't applaud. You wouldn't clap, right? You you'd freak the fuck out and run away screaming, right? right? right. So the kids in the playground, they saw this coin disappear. They didn't know I was a magician. I wasn't a magician, they, right? right? And they just lose it. And and the teacher comes over to see what's going on, and this stern authoritarian woman sees the same thing, and she. I mean, she doesn't scream in the same way that the kids scream, but I, but I will remember the transformation on her face forever. Yeah. And, and that was like a clue to something essential for me because there's the young magician sees very clearly the difference between how adults act most of the time and how they act when they see something magical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that, like that question is my entire interest in magic. What do we lose as we get older? And how do you get it back? And how do you rake it back? You like rake it back. Right. It's like dead leaves on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Can yeah. you get these back on the tree? <laughs> That's kind of your job is re repurposing, uh, reupholstering leaves. That's so interesting. I when I hear that, and I think we I, we have this in common. I forget who said they. I should just the quickest way to explain it. It might have been my friend Elliot Tarong. He was like, "You should just say you're an amateur magician because I love magic. I, I don't know if you if you know this. Okay, but I know you can't be annoyed by this because. I want to know how that's done. Yeah. 
but so do you because you read the books. Like I read the books. Yeah. Like we have that in common. Right. So on one hand, magicians have to be annoyed that people think they want to know how things are done. Yeah. But then there really are people, and I'm going to include you and me in this group, that really do want to know how it's done because that enhances. You did it to yourself. Right. You knew the slight move. Yeah. And yet you amazed yourself. Yeah, it was. It, it was. But but the thing that, that I was amazed was by was different than what the audience saw. They were amazed by the coin vanish, and yeah. I was amazed that something as simple as this little sleight of hand dance of the fingers yeah. could make could turn a grown, educated adult into a kid again. Like that. That was far more amazing right. than the trick. And what is a kid again? I think that's an interesting... Yeah. That, I think, we're, is what we're talking about when we're laying on our back in Iowa. Mm. It's free. It's spacious. Yeah. Kids are spacious. We learn because there's always, like, some weird uncle that lies to us and tells us if we swallow gum, a vine will grow out of our mouth. Right. And it's that guy that sort of introduces something important, which is discernment. We have to go, like, well, Uncle Jack's a liar <laughs> or a trickster, right. whatever it is. And that is important. But when we're kids, there's room for almost everything. Yeah. You're still learning and adults stopped learning. But should we ever stop learning? I think that's that, that's that injection that you're giving them going like, again, Ramdas talks about miracles and, and we can talk about India. I mean, they talk about these things as real things. They say the point of a miracle isn't what happened it's that you're wondering what is if you go if that's possible right. what else is possible it's the implication as much right. as the event yeah. let me ask you this when i saw you in wherever we were right. wisconsin did you do the lottery trick yeah i think i probably did okay because i'm on the train yeah you open the book with the lottery trick yeah it's a great story right. it's really so season three about of crashing is about the road and i'm reading it and you brought me back yeah to those gigs that are in some sort of pool hall or right. like some, some schools have bars, <laughs> just like in a bar right. and they're rowdy and they don't care. And you're a fucking magician. Yeah. Le- a comedian can go out and just make fun of how bad it is. Right. You have to. Right. We have this, like at the end of the day, you still have to make them believe in magic for a minute or yes. you're a bad magician. Or you're a bad right. magician. You have to do something impossible. And as I always reference, uh, I have a joke about this, about magic. It's like you have to convince a bunch of people whose guard is up. Yeah. I want to – I go and I, I love it. Right. I want to – I could see a move that I know. It doesn't matter. I'm I'm watching it and loving it. Most people, 99% of them, will are threatened by it and will want to pull the wool, pull the veil back and call you a fraud and that will be a, just as good of a night as being amazed. So you had to do this lottery trick where you get six random people. They each name a number. Your wallet's in plain view the whole time. You take out a lottery ticket. You hand it to them. They read it. It's the numbers. Right. That 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 match the random people. Yeah. So I say three. You say 17. There's six numbers. The first number's three. Right. It's printed on a ticket. Right. Printed on a ticket. It's printed on a ticket. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a lottery ticket. It's a lottery like ticket. Like, you'd get it at a gas station. It's been printed. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Rich Summer. And I want you to know, Rich and I, I mean, I'm almost 40. We're, we're middle-aged dudes. Had a long conversation about, in respect, not to demystify it. Of course. But going, okay, the only thing I can think of, the only control you have in the trick yeah. is that you take the ticket out. 
Mm. There has to be a term for that in magic. Like a, the only point of control <laughs> that right. you have is that you're taking the ticket out. Okay. And then Rich goes, so what does he have? Trillions of tickets? Yeah. <laughs> you should see my, uh, my dressing room. It's just filled. <laughs> Even if, you, if it did, you'd need like a filing system. That would still be amazing. I mean, you would need, let's just do the math. You need a trillion tickets. A trillion tickets. And a little mouse <laughs> that lives in your wallet with, with a, like a, an accountant's green visor and glasses. And he looks through it and he hands it to you. And, right. and that's how you do it. And then you had two grown men. Yeah. We're supposed to be talking about taxes or politics or, or, or some weird mole. And instead, on the walk up here, we talked about how great your book is, how amazing you are. And we're going, could he have a printer in there? Yeah. <laughs> could there be a little inkjet printer in his conspicuously thin wallet? Yeah. That reminded me of being six. When we would go, right. it's lasers. Yeah, and there's yes. Yeah, right. We used to wonder just like, what would happen if we filled this hole with water? Yeah. Like that's how we spent our days. Yeah. A very vivid memory of mine was going back and forth into the house, asking my mom for a drink of water, keeping it in our mouths, and then spitting it in a hole because we wanted to make a little lake. And then one of the kids, <laughs> one of the, he was a little soft. He came out and we're like, where's the water? And he was like, I was thirsty. I swallowed it. That was our day. And you made me feel like that. Yeah. Wondering if you had a dot matrix printer in your wallet yeah. that silently, in front of a lot of people, prints a ticket. Yeah, that's that next level of appreciation. We could just go, "He's a miracle worker," and you deal with that. He's right. he's of the devil, right? Or it's this, this, or this. That is, I like going. How did they? You like the process? I'm of, assuming you do too. Well, so here's what I would say. I think before that kicks in, though, there is a moment. Like I, I, oh yeah, dude. I was on the. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I was on the train and I felt like a goose walked over my grave. Yeah. And I, apparently, oh, and this is my whole point. You did it when I saw you live, and I forgot. Yeah. And I think that serves our overall point sure. too. Is it's not the trick. Right. Go. I'm so sorry. I, I think even for the people who love, um, trying to dissect magic when it's good, there is a moment before that kicks in. Sometimes it's a second, sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's half a second. You know, it, it depends on the situation and the person where, where they're not thinking about that. I know that that's certainly yes. how it is for me. When I see something, there are a handful of, of perfect magic illusions that I've ever seen. And of course, I've spent years trying to wrap my minds around them. But, right. but some of my favorite experiences are that flash of... Whatever it is that I mean when I talk about wonder, you're before in the back that, in Iowa. right before in that engages totally, yeah. and and that I feel like that moment is is the very essence of what a magician is is trying to share with someone. Because it's like a, a mini enlightenment when you, I mean, in that you're no longer playing a part. Yep, you're no longer lost in illusion. Yeah. You're no longer thinking I'm a left-handed American who likes red lobster. You're just there. And then later comes the analysis, but for a second, it's that. And, and for me, and I hope this is the way it is for the audience, the, the peculiar thing about that flash is it's not, it's not an absence of information that you were appreciating. It's, it's whatever knowledge that comes from the understanding that what you thought you knew about everything is inadequate or incomplete. Mm. That, that it's, it's like a, you know, we were talking a few minutes ago about the fundamental mystery that there is something rather than nothing, right? It's yeah. like a direct line to that again for a second. And then, and then of course, the intellect reengages and tries to tear it apart. But, but for a minute, it's magic. Right. 
It's like it's it's like looking at a tree, and this is an Eckhart Tolle thing. I don't know if you've ever. I haven't talked about this in a while. It doesn't have to be a tree. It could be almost anything. It's uh, it, Rob Bell loves the book. Seeing is forgetting the name of the thing one sees. So if you're looking at a tree, your brain really wants to go big tree, little tree, 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 tree. tree, tree, right. tree. Right. It's building reality yeah. right now in this room. It's one of the things that psychedelics says. Uh, is stop this, is in this room, it's prioritizing you over other things. Just like a filmmaker, I'm focusing in you and I'm tuning out the rest of this inconsequential right. room, which is actually very, very vibrant. You, you could take something like mushrooms or meditate or whatever it might be to get you there or see a great trick, and suddenly you might be... I actually get it from Wes Anderson movies, too. He's so detailed and beautiful that I leave and I go, this movie theater is fucking beautiful. Right. You know what I mean? He yeah, You certainly get it from you movies. There. You get it from music sometimes yeah. or concerts. You know, yeah. I feel like everyone's been to that concert where the band just blows the roof off the building. Yeah. And you walk out of there thinking, what the fuck was that? Like, yeah. where did that come from? Yeah, and it yeah, changes yeah. the way you see everything for a little while. And, and it lingers with you. Yeah. It stays with you. Yeah. Uh, what are some of those tricks that you've seen? I love talking about great tricks. There's well, the one in the book we could talk about, but let, let me tell you a um, let me tell you a different story. <laughs> so I'm with my friend Dan. I know Dan. Dan's a magician. Oh, a different Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're at the we're at the museum under the arch in St. Louis. We're at a NACAN conference in St. Louis. No way. Yeah, and and have the afternoon free. And, and so you go see the arch. And there's this Lewis and Clark Museum in the basement there. And anyway, we're looking through the museum. And Dan says, Nate, I want you to do two things. I want you to go up to a random person here in the museum and ask them to just name a playing card. I'm like, all right, whatever. I go ask this, this old guy. I'm sorry, my friend's a magician. He's showing me a trick. And he asked me to just get you to name a playing card. We just say one. He says, King of Diamonds. So I go back and tell Dan King of Diamonds. And he says, okay, go up to another person and uh, ask what their favorite display is. And that'll be weird. So you can explain that it's part of a magic trick. So I go up to this mom and her two kids and say, I'm sorry, my friend Dan's doing a magic trick. He just wants to know what your guys' favorite, favorite exhibit is here. And so they point across the room to this. It's like this glass walled in exhibit of what a dentist office would look like in the 1850s. So I have no idea where this is going. So I go back and, Dan and tell Dan, all right, they, they pick the dental chair over there. And Dan says, uh, okay, Nate, I want you to go up and, and look at the exhibit. So I walk 50 feet, you know, across he the says. museum. Yeah. To, up to this glassed, walled-in exhibit of a dentist office from the 1850s. And there, sitting on the dentist chair, is one playing card. It's the King of Diamonds. <laughs> And I'm I'm inconsolable. Like I just I can't I I lose my mind because I know how this shit works. That's not possible. I I know how I would try to get someone to say King of Diamonds. It wasn't that. I like yeah. all of the sort of cycle. Like all of the things that I would use to make that moment happen were were impossible. Because he had no. I'm going to coin the term right now. He had no point of agency. Right. It right. was all on you. Right. So, and and now the so, only thing he had. Yeah. If we can. Yeah. Is it's broken into two parts. Okay. I want to tell you how he did it because he told me. Get out. And, and really? The explanation is way better than the performance. And uh, this is a free podcast. I went to the bathroom. And because Dan is sort of an evil genius when it comes to creating magic, 
all of this came together instantly. He had a playing card in his pocket and he walked over to the window because there was a little slit in the, the glass panels and he threw the playing card and it just landed on the dentist chair. So that's in place. And then he gets up. If it lands face down, we're fucked already. Totally fucked, right? Yeah. But, but the stakes are very low because he doesn't. He, nobody knows a trick is happening. Right. And I He could have thrown another card. Right. He could just abandon or, or whatever. Right. So he's, he's hoping to get lucky, does, and then he stands up on the bench and says, on a bench in, in the museum and shouts to everyone, excuse me, everyone, I need your attention. My friend is in the restroom and he's a magician and we're going to mess with his mind. So whoever you are, if he comes to you asking for a playing card, say King of Diamonds, if he comes to you asking for what your favorite exhibit is, please mention this dentist chair and everyone hears this guy and they think oh he's crazy or whatever but then sure enough five minutes later i come out still yeah can, I, can we talk about this yeah someone could not speak english they they could right so <laughs> so he's taking a risk but somebody again, could be a trickster the stakes are so low that if right. this works out it's a miracle if yeah. it doesn't there's no problem this is hilarious so he's turned he's created a situation where the entire room is in on this thing except me it's like a surprise party but it's not actually my birthday. And but like a surprise party, another X factor, yeah. you could feel the frequency of, did you do something? Yeah. Like if you came back and more than three people looked at you sideways, right. you would go, hey, I, I you're knew. a magician. But, uh, but I think at least I am fairly oblivious to most things that happen around me. I was, I, I'm certainly not thinking, <laughs> right, oh, maybe I'm in the bathroom and Dan's setting up this massive playing right. card conspiracy. Because that, like a good poker player who's going to bluff, right. he doesn't do it every hand. Your friend Dan, right. who's known you for years, has never done this before. No, it was so like a time. good con man goes, make it count right. and do it now. But he couldn't do it the next week. You it know was, what I mean? He's got to do it now. It was an opportunity that would not come again anytime soon. Yeah, and, yeah. And it, it, it worked. And it was one of the most incredible experiences. It Why was, did he tell you? Because you're magicians? Yeah. And I, w- <laughs> I was really angry that he had fooled me so badly. <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of make that point that finding out how it's done sort of takes the music out of it. For sure. But for me, I love it. Yeah. I'll think of both parts of that story. I'm not saying this makes me special. I'm saying this, I think there are people listening that have that type of appreciation that's, let's call it a two-tiered level of appreciation. Yeah. Where you go, here's all the different ways it could have gone wrong, and it didn't. Yeah. Like, if you ask my dad, like, a lot of people, I'm sure you've met hundreds. If I go remember King of Diamonds, they'll say King of Hearts. Right. Because they, they just won't they remember. Just, yeah. They just got the color, not the suit. Yeah. And so he's he still did something amazing. Yeah. I regretted... Penn Jillette did my show, and I've, I've been doing this thing lately where, <laughs> where uh, you have a 1 in 52 chance. You take a deck of cards, and you go, uh, you shuffle them, and you just go, name any card, and you name a card, and then I take the top card off, and I hold it up like I've done something. You have a 1 in 52 chance of being the best <laughs> magician they've ever seen. <laughs> and if I had done it to Penn and gotten it, yeah. unlikely, right. I would have fooled the fool me guy. Like, it would have been something that he'd remember Forever. Right. You guys are trying to make the odds better for moments like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like I like that. You're going to get that to work sometime and it'll be for, you know, President Obama or something uh, like that. I've been suit off by the suit. Like they've right. said seven or whatever. And I've, I didn't do anything. Obviously, it's just yeah. chance. But it, it's such a fun, fun feeling. Yeah. Who was the guy with the flowers from the book? David Burglis. David Burglis. And you say David Burglis is the best magician ever. Yeah. And people don't know this. 
which yeah. I think is very interesting. Yeah, he, he was a superstar in the UK. Um, he performed on the radio before television was a thing, before the BBC. How do you do a trick on the radio? Well, it's, it's, this, it's a really cool form of magic that is, you know, obviously we have TV and, and YouTube and all that, so it doesn't get used a lot, but it's, it's all about um, sort of building a, an image in the listeners' minds about what's happening. And then you have a, a host there that they trust so they know that the host isn't just part of this conspiracy. Right, he's not a plant. Uh, and and you just articulate what's happening. Obviously, you can't make things appear and disappear, but you could do the lottery trick on the radio. You know, you I've sure done that could. before. Have you? Where where the host is someone that everyone trusts and and I, you know, Right. Put the wallet on the table and go through the whole thing. That's the other thing is if, if somebody was pretending to be amazed, it's like faking an orgasm. Right. We you all know. You can't do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Can I ask you something about the lottery check? Yeah. We'll get back to David. Burglas. Burglas. Yeah. Does someone else do the lottery check? This is this is a disparity between comedians. Okay. Somebody else. Did you write the lottery check? I did. And you came up with the device or yeah. whatever? Yeah. Technique? I mean, I so I don't want to talk too much about the... Um, oh, I don't want to do that either. But... Um, I mean, I do, but I don't. How do I, I say really this? Don't. Like, the lottery trick is the way it looks to the audience. Like, that's what makes it the lottery trick, and and the method. I, I don't want. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's fine. Okay, yeah. That's not the point okay. of the, the show. Okay. My question is, you get a call. Yeah. Nate, there's this other guy, Tim Bebo. Right. He's doing the lottery trick. Yeah. He's asking for six random numbers, and he produces. His is a fortune cookie. Right. And he opens the fortune cookie and has the numbers on it. So it's a little bit different. Right. It's like every once in a while, somebody will send me, a friend of mine will send me a clip of some comedian. This guy's doing you. Oh, uh, right. Or someone's ripped off your act. Somebody's yeah. ripped off your essence or they're doing a bit that's very similar right. to you. Sometimes you just see someone stealing a bit. Yeah. Usually you don't care because you're like, people know that's my bit. But right. like, how do you feel we find out that this guy is doing a similar trick? I think it depends a lot on the context. I think if. If they, so in 2012, so I, you know, I think one of the misconceptions that people have about the magic world is that we're um, very good at keeping secrets. You know, I think there's this. It's in the book. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a great tradition of sharing and publishing your work in the community, mm-hmm. and um, it, you know, it's a it's a way to help other magicians, but it's also a way to plant a flag on these are my ideas. I. Uh. I came up with this stuff and now I'm publishing it to prove it. Right. Yeah. So, it's like a scientist. For sure. You go like, yeah. that's my study. Right. And yeah. and the way you do that is by putting it out to the community so people can see, oh, look at, look at what so Nate So it's like did. you, uh, you like stab yourself before they can stab you sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in 2012, I, I wrote, I wrote the lottery trick book and I printed 150 copies and sold it for a ridiculous amount of money. Only, and I only made it available to professional performers. How much was it? But 150 people <laughs> bought it, and it's gone on eBay now. Like I saw one copy on eBay for $800 or $1,000 for this really little book that explains all of the ways to do the lottery trick. No. And yeah, and yeah. So if you really want to know, you can know. And you have $850, Pete. 
you uh-huh. can know about the lottery trick. <laughs> can I pay you eight hundred dollars? No, no, I don't. I don't have any more copies. But, I'd rather just give it to you directly. <laughs> but but I, I did that because I wanted I wanted to plant the flag, right? I wanted yeah. people oh, that's to so know. Cool. I never knew I that. came up with this stuff, and these are my ideas. I have a new wrinkle yeah. in my brain now. You just like I've never heard that before, I, yeah. and of course it makes perfect sense. Yeah. But you can't just hoard it. Then, then you get the prestige. I don't know how you feel about the movie, the prestige. But now you have other magicians going to your show wearing a mustache, trying to figure out. Yeah, and shooting it. at me, it's really awkward. Shooting. You know? at- ah, <laughs> oh right, yeah, the bullet trick, <laughs> which was a real trick. Yeah. Which didn't did Houdini? You love Houdini as well, for sure. I think Houdini's. What what do people get wrong about Houdini? You taught me a lot about Houdini. Yeah, I think, I think. The way to think of Houdini right now for a modern audience that feels about magic the way modern audiences do, you should think of him more like Bruce Springsteen. That's how he was embraced by the culture. It wasn't because then a magician wearing a tuxedo and a frock coat, that wasn't a cliche. Right. He was just... He was a cool dude. He was dressing like a cool dude. It's like dude. in the yeah. 80s, like a white blazer with the sleeves rolled up was fucking dope. Right. Like, and, look at that guy. And Houdini came from a, a family of immigrants and he started with nothing and became... He became a superstar at a time where there weren't other superstars. Like, because <laughs> it was, you know, his his rise to fame matched year for year the the development of... You know, photographs being printed in newspapers. And so, like, now we take it for granted that we see famous people's faces everywhere. Right. But that, there was a time where that didn't happen. Right. But Houdini was born. So buzz built up. That's good for a magician. Yeah, international buzz. He was, you know, arguably the first, you know, or maybe the second international superstar. Can you imagine being in the West Village and hearing about Bob Dylan and then you go and part of the reveal is that's what he looks like? Yeah. Like that's part of the Because you don't show. know, right. There's what mystery. What does he wear? Sure. Now you see Tom Selleck and you weigh it. Oh, he's taller. He's taller. Like, but you had an idea. Right. We're living already with less titillation from well, seeing Tom Selleck. Well, and I, I mean, if you're even an amateur magician, I'm sure you've discovered that that magic is is that that because mystery is such an essential part of it that the almost the less you like hearing about something amazing will always someone someone describing a magic trick will always describe it better better than it than it was right and so Houdini's material has had this luxury of being pre-film isn't that cool like there's not there's there's just a little bit of film of him escaping from a straitjacket but isn't that another value of magic yeah. is that if I do something to you and then you explain it. It's almost the way that people sometimes uh, subconsciously make a story better. Yeah. Like they, we just kind of know. Or they're so kind of lost in it that they go like, and he did this. Like I'll give you an example. I had somebody uh, at my birthday party. A friend of mine got me a magician. I'm forgetting his name. He was amazing though. Forgive me. We'll look it up later. Uh, and he pointed at my friend and said, name a card. And then he had one card in the box, yeah. right? And he, and he slid it out and it was that card. Now – Again, point of agency, I'm going, I'm telling the story. We were drinking, some of us were stoned. But more important than both of those factors is that we were in a routine. And only one person knew we were in a routine, and it was the magician. And then the magician, I love studying the way our brains work, how we think, how we visualize. And that's why magicians are kind of like alchemists or mystics in the way that they're taking the time to consider how do we tell ourselves a story? And that's what reality is. It's is a story. And those stories become memories and that becomes our understanding mm-hmm. of the principles of the universe. And you guys are going, well, I bet if I do this, 
their brain, it's almost like Kung Fu, will fill in the space between one and two with an impossible 1.5. Right. And I'm going to make them shit their pants. <laughs> it's, it's why adults are so much easier to fool than kids. Because kids haven't learned that one plus one is two, right? They don't, yeah. you know, adults have learned all of these assumptions that we can make about, you know, I, I walked into the studio and I sat down and there were a bunch of microphones and I just sort of know that they go off to a control room somewhere and that's how I can, you know, right, like they're, right, right. I, I'm bringing all of my experience in different studios to bear here. That's right. So it's really easy to use that against adults. Right. Whereas kids don't have that, that wiring in place yet to, wow. uh, to, Exploit. That's so interesting. Of course. <laughs> so you, though, do you mind telling the flower story? Because, sure. no. I mean, it blows me it's, away. It's my favorite experience as a magician. It's my favorite. And, and I, that's the one. That's my dentist chair yeah. card through the glass that I, I'll never – we'll never know. I, I've spoken with a few other really top magicians, um, including a few who know David Burgless and and – no one has any idea. Give David Burgless a little bit of that intro because some of the things you said that he did were yeah, incredible. So, so he he's like a real life um, James Bond or, you know, the Dos Equis most interesting man in the world. Like <laughs> his whole life has just been this this sort of superhero story. Um, his uh, his family escaped the Nazis in, in World War II. He grew up in Germany and, and they fled to London. And he, as a 16-year-old, he altered the age on his passport so he could join the American invasion and go back and fight the Nazis. <laughs> so he's, he's brave, wow. and, right? So, so after the war, he could do anything because he's, he's an actual genius and, and um, you know, he, he could have been a doctor, he could have been a lawyer. But for, for a reason that I don't entirely understand but fills me with pride, he became a professional magician. <laughs> and he... he invented this entire school of magic that was so far removed from everything, the sort of common architecture of deception that magicians have invented over the past, you know, hundreds of years, mm. that, that top magicians in the world would see him work and no one had any idea what he was doing. It was, it was categorically different than the other stuff. And he performed on the radio and the BBC came along. He had a show on the BBC. So he was a superstar. And, and then at the height of his powers, he just retired and said i'm i'm not going to i'm not going to do this anymore and i'm and trying to remember didn't he make traffic stop he stopped traffic in piccadilly circus and <laughs> and like just think about that that's one of the busiest intersections of the world and there's film to show that it actually happened and he <laughs> he just raised his hand yells stop and the buses stop the taxis stop the people walking on the streets stop dogs like there's a there's a picture of a dog with one paw raised like he's frozen in midair <laughs> it's 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 like biblical miracles it's not like magic tricks you know the card through card through window trick where you have someone sign a playing card yeah put it back in the deck and you throw the cards against a window and and it's their the sign card is on the other side of the glass yeah he did that on a transatlantic flight uh from new york to london on an airplane window for a, a reporter from the new york times and and yeah it's just it's stuff that it, it, that's like the ice block trick which i've talked about before you know the ice right, block trick right so impossible that you don't even know where to start what is going on yeah that's yeah. where they make an ice block appear from behind the newspaper so his his specialty if you will are these indescribable miracles things that that don't even feel like magic tricks. They just feel like, oh, there must be real magic because I've seen it. David Burgler showed it to me. 
So I'm going to make a really long story um, very short. Um, he wrote a, a book about magic that I cared about very deeply and I studied as carefully as I could. And What was it called? Uh, the Mind and Magic of David Berglund. And I wrote him a letter explaining that I had you know, avidly studied his book and I wanted to talk to him about magic and, and I will meet him anywhere in the world that's convenient. Just name the spot. If you'll give me an hour, I'll, mm. I'll, I'll be there. And so I got a response saying, yeah, if you can be at this train station north of London next Wednesday, we'll, you know, come over to my house for dinner and we'll, we'll talk about magic. So I went to like I got went to London and I got to this this train station and sure enough here comes David Burglas and he was I bet he was eighty five when this happened and you know he and his wife picked me up at the train station. Wait, but his passport said eighty seven. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think they've corrected that? But, uh, <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> I get to the Burglas house and we walk inside. It's a beautiful house, but he stops me before we enter the dining room. And he says, Nate, you're married, aren't you? I said, yeah. What's your wife's name? I say, my wife's name's Catherine. Ah, he says, so, so you, will, you will, of course, know uh, if she has a favorite flower and what it is. And I say, yeah, her favorite flower is the peonies. And, and then he gets this look on his face. And it's the only time in my life that I have truly, truly believed that maybe there is such a thing as real supernatural magic that people can do. And because he, it was just like he transformed for a second from this old man into the greatest magician in the world. And he pushes open the dining room in door. In his face? Yeah, the, his whole being. You know how you hear of people <laughs> talking about um, these sort of special people who have auras around them or sure. energy. That's David. Like he just feels like the greatest magician in the world. And you kicked it in. Like you yeah. felt a swirl. Like, like a switch flipped. Yeah. Like we walked down the hall and he was an 85-year-old man getting down the hall. And then now he's going to do this miracle and it's just like his whole essence changed. If it was a movie, there would have been a swirl of circular wind like a little – It would be a Terrence bite. Malick film with yeah. sunlight coming into the chair. <laughs> <laughs> he pushes open the dining room table. And as he's doing, or excuse me, he pushes open the dining room door and, and he says, I love this room because it, it uh, um, has such a beautiful view of the garden. And there on the dining room table is a vase filled with peonies. So that's strange. <laughs> but then he walks open, he opens the window that looks out on the garden and there are two rows of bushes in his backyard and they're filled with peonies. They're peony bushes all the way down the yard. So I feel like I sit down in the chair. I feel like my knees are going weak. Like this is, this is the real deal. What is this about? What is he doing? Is he looking at Totally you? nonchalant. Like nothing's happening. He's, you know, finding a notebook <laughs> on the table. Like he's, he's underselling the whole thing. And I'm just like barely keeping myself together. <laughs> so we, we talk about magic for five hours and he doesn't bring up the peonies once. And I say, I sort of am assuming that at some point we'll talk about what that thing, get to the peony. He, <laughs> we never talks about it. says good night. I, you know, and then I'm, so I'm going back to the, the place where I'm staying in London. And I call Catherine to tell her, my wife, Catherine, to tell her about this thing that happened. I tell her the whole story. And, and she says, Nate, that's impossible. It's <laughs> like, I know it's impossible. She says, no, you don't understand. This is October. Peonies only ever bloom in May. And that's when I felt like, I don't know, like it's like as far from the right. blooming season as you could be, like right. right in the middle of being away from it. And 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 it's like the most amazing part of that. Not only did he totally undersell the whole illusion, but the most amazing part he left for me to figure out on my own was hours later. So and, one of the parts of the performance 
sounds like a big part of it was restraint. Yeah. Yeah. Really the only time he lit up was before he opened the door. Yeah. Like he but he was like he was like a gunslinger from the Wild West, you know, that that self-assured <sighs> confidence and uh, That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it it went I mean, do you think that what is your take? Very complicated or very simple? I go back and forth. And I think about it. This was in 2013. I have thought about it every day <laughs> since 2015. <laughs> Buddy, I've thought about it every day since I read your book. Yeah. When I emailed you, I said, what if you said roses? Right. What if I had said roses? What? What? Most likely you'll say roses. Right. Yeah. Peonies is not it's an a obscure rare, choice, yeah, but it's, it's not. It's, yeah, I think it's obscure. Yeah. It's pretty good as an obscure choice, I mean. I mean, it's a very nice flower. but <laughs> <laughs> And you go back and forth between whether whether hugely complicated or basically we're saying did he my pen gillette illusion to you right that's right occam's razor right most basic one right but they they were in there there are enough the so so yes but they're out of bloom but they're (laughs) that's the thing that's the thing that ruins the simplistic explanation that he got that he got lucky because they shouldn't fucking be there for six months i'll wager uh i'll add to the conversation i don't i've never heard of that flower before i read your book is that right i was like i feel like most people would say daisies tulips roses like you're headlining flowers right you said weird one right like like i you know um derek delgadio did this he told the story of being at david blaine's house he left a bottle of champagne that had an LED screen on it. Later in the day, he texts him. He says, name a card. He says, seven, seven diamonds. And then uh, he goes, go look at the wine. And it says seven of diamonds on the, on the screen. Okay. And I think about that all the time. Right. And that involves electronics. Right. So at least you can go like, is it remotely controlled? You know, There's something going You're on. dealing with. I know. I'm not saying that trick. By the way, Derek, if you hear this. That's a fucking incredible trick that I think about every day too. Right. But at least we have guesses. Right. Like I was saying with other tricks, you go like, could it be this? Could it be this? In your lottery trick, the only thing we have, and this is this is that titillation I get. He's the one who takes the the lottery ticket out of his wallet, like a thumb pencil. You know what I'm saying? Remember the thumb pencil? Sure. I, I people don't care. <laughs> they can Google that. But that's you can't thumb pencil a lottery ticket, and he can't plant a flower. Right. That's some fucking good man. There's a logical disconnect. I feel like this is true of most great illusions. There's a logical disconnect you hit at some point where you're trying to backtrack and you can't go any farther that, that you sort of tackle yourself to the ground intellectually trying to, trying to solve it. And yeah, look, it's entirely possible (laughs) that, that he just got really lucky. It still doesn't explain the out of bloom thing. It doesn't. And, yeah. So like I said, I've thought about it every day and, and I keep going back and forth. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm looking for an explanation, but I also, like, I cherish that moment. That, that is a really special thing. But that goes back to what I, what I was saying earlier too, was I said, Nate, I saw, I love magic. I saw you perform. Yeah. You did the lottery trick. Yeah. So I saw an impossible thing. Yeah. I didn't remember that. Yeah. That's not to put down your show. Nobody remembers no. my jokes. In fact, sometimes during my show, just when I'm riffing, I'll kind of use your line. I'll be like, that's all we're going to remember. Like if someone drops something or something. Right. It's like one of those things that sometimes I've said, uh, inspired by you, obviously, just using your line, being like, that's all we'll remember. Because I'm saying like it's not about the act. It's about that we were outside of ourselves for a little while. Right? For, that That is a much higher compliment than if you had said, 
I saw your show, and the thing that I've never stopped thinking about is the lottery. Like, right? Like, it, who cares? Right, because it's I not guess. about me. Right? It, uh, it it's not about what the magician does that should should matter. It's, it it's about how it makes you feel once you know? it happens in you. Yeah, it's like right. Magic only ever happens in the minds this of the spectators. This is what Chris Thiele said. He said when someone says, "I love that song," he's a musician. He goes, "I love that song." Um, it's just the perfect song about divorce. And he's like, that song's about the Titanic. He goes, thank you. Because the song, like a photograph or a uh. painting, actually becomes a photograph or a painting once it exists in the consciousness of someone else. Yeah. And we talked about this at length. So they're right. So you transported me somewhere, and I remember that. Yeah. But the trick isn't the point. Right. So Rich, and, Rich Summer and I were talking about this. We're like, it's like Life of Pi. Have you read Life of Pi? Yeah. It's like at the end, is it true? Was there a tiger on the boat? Or wasn't there a tiger on the right. boat? Or was it something else? Or this is very not Western thinking. Or is the point between, in the space between the words? Was it trying to, what's more important to you, the fact or the feeling? Right. And, and is a story, and, and this has religious implications as well. It's like, is it important to you that Jesus walked on water? Is it? In the way that we perceive things in the West, it is. We go like, he either did or he didn't. Right. He's either the real deal or he didn't. Or we go, that's not the point. That's the, that's the coin you picked up on the ground because you like money. But on the back of the coin was the real message. Right? right? right. That's the trick. Is it tricked you into being open and spacious enough to receive something that you needed that you didn't know you needed because it's this ethereal otherworldly thing like you're saying in that first camp yeah right for for certain you know i think the magician's job is to to give you the experience of magic but but there's trouble there because i don't have magic powers and i know david burglis doesn't have magic powers and i know you know that's not how it works that's not how the job works right Um, i once saw an artist draw it was a beautiful illustration. It was a it was a pencil drawing of um of a candle sitting on a table, and the your uh, your eye was drawn right to the center of the picture, and and the, the the focal point. Maybe that's not the right term, but the thing that you're supposed to see in the picture, the the emphasis was that white hot center of the the flame. But but as I watched him draw this, he never actually drew the white flame. It's he, just what he drew everything else. Yeah. And and he drew the shadow and the shading on the table and the man leaning over looking at it. But that the very the the thing he was showing us with the picture he never drew. He just drew everything else. And that's that's how I think about magic. I can't show you magic. I don't have magic powers. Right. But I can set up events in our world right. to make you see it for a second. Because we're aren't we soaking in it so hard? It's like fish. What is water? Yeah. How's the water today, boys? Yeah. To one fish, the old fish says the young fish, and the young fish say, what the hell is what water? What the hell is water, yeah. Right? So we're soaking in magic, and the only way we can get at it is, one of the ways we can get at it, we're discovering that there's lots of different ways, is with something that's not, it's not the point. Yeah. Walking on water isn't the point. Right. But you ran into something very interesting, because I, I made my peace with miracles. I grew up religious. So I believed in miracles because there they are in black and white or red if you had one of those Bibles. And uh, so I, I believed that there were people that have supernatural powers. Yeah. Um, really just one person, Jesus. Moses, the Pharaoh's magicians, that's kind of 
I always found that very confusing that the Pharaoh also had magicians. If you Just remember throwing that story. It on the side there. Yeah. 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 They're, yeah. they're throwing down their staff and they're turning into snakes. Cause that's how, uh, Moses was showing that he was in cahoots with the real God. Yeah. And then it just says, but the Pharaoh's magicians could do that too. And I'm like, excuse me? That's one line that there were dudes in the Pharaoh's keep. They were like, we can do that. And did it without, I need a book about that. Right. It's just, it just tells it just like I'm saying. It goes, but the Pharaoh's magicians could do it. But it just goes linear. It's like, as magician, magic enthusiasts, I'm like, did they leave the room? You know what I mean? Did they go, right. I'll be right back? <laughs> right. What kind of sleeves were they wearing? Yes. Right. I have questions. Because if a man drops a staff unprepared, yeah. if a guy comes in and says, I'm going to turn this into a snake, I go, great, trick. If I co- if you right now turn that glass into a snake, right. that's what makes the, the ice block trick. Now we're not even including the audience in the chat, but that's stupid. <laughs> this is just, this is a talk for you and me now. That's right. Well, that's maybe the conceit of the whole show, but people enjoy, I hope. Um, but we're saying... You ran into the idea that um, I believe that Jesus did magic. Moses did magic. People on God's side did magic. You go to India. We're not going to do the whole book. I want people to buy That's the book. Fine. I also want them to buy the book. And they will. Even though some of these stories are in there, they're, I'm telling you, your writing inspires me. It's, you have wonderful prose. That's Here is Real Magic, folks. No. Ah, <laughs> you can do that. No, it's, it's fine. Funny. It's called Here is Real Magic. Um, so you – then I lose my faith. We're almost done about me. I lose my faith. And one of the things that I, one of the burdens that I got to put down with that was believing in miracles. I could just be materialistic. Okay. I just go, well, that's, that's kind of a relief actually. Okay. Cause I don't want to believe that there's a guy that walked on water. That's inconvenient to my worldview. Right. It was fun to believe in him because that same man who's walking on water and his spirit could heal me, could move me, could whatever, protect me on a bumpy airplane, all these different things. So I liked that, but then I lost it. And one of the things I freed up was all the ram that was always running in my mind going, don't forget there was a guy who did impossible things. So I lost that. Then I start kind of getting reintroduced to faith as a metaphor. So then I go, it's not important if Jesus walked on water or if he didn't. Uh, Somebody said brilliantly, they were like, if it's true, it's a good miracle story. If it's not true and they put it in, why did they put it in? So what is the feeling they're trying to evoke? So now I'm back in, in the Bible, I'm back in the Quran, I'm back in in everything, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, whatever it is, I'm reading it metaphorically. Right. And suddenly I'm enjoying religion again. Right. Then, and I swear we're about to get back to you. <laughs> I, I don't see that on your face. I'm saying that for the listener. Then I start getting into Ramdas and India. And for fuck's sake, we're right back where we started. Yeah. We have gurus. We have enlightened beings, bodhisattvas. We have people you talk about walking on water in India, they go, yeah, there's a guy that does that. Right. And this is one of the parts of your book. It's in, in search of real magic. Very inconvenient for me. I had found a nice, cozy, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have your faith, but you don't have to compromise the integrity of your brain. And then you start falling in love, and I'm using that very deliberately, falling in love with the message of Ramdas and and Maharaji and all these amazing tales and the heart of it, not, not just miracle stories, but the heart of it was resonating with me in the deepest way imaginable. Right. And these people are telling me, this isn't a story in an old book. It's not a metaphor. Right. I saw this. The townspeople saw this. People being in two places at once. People appearing on a train, giving a message and then vanishing. People raising people from the dead. Things of this nature seem to be happening 
in India. You go to India. You start doing tricks. It's a very fun idea. People then go, hey, watch out, because here we have an openness to that, and you can... You can be a false guru, like false gurus manipulate people's belief for cash. And you very beautifully break it down, the idea that it's a good business model. Learn some tricks. Be a holy man. We're in a a society that allows for and welcomes holy men, meaning we feed them, we welcome them, we don't ridicule them. They do a couple tricks that you and I might both know are tricks, but these are uneducated Possibly illiterate people that are that are I, I threw in illiterate. You know what I'm saying? Right. Who don't have YouTube? Too. Who don't have right. YouTube? He does. Let's say thumb pencil. <laughs> let's bring back thumb pencil, and then he gets followers, and then he gets cash, and then he moves on. So he's a charlatan and a thief and yeah. a liar. Right. Where are you? You went there. You did something. That's what the book is about that I have always wanted to do, which is you went, I want to go and see this. Yeah. I'm, and, and I want to be clear. I, I could have gone anywhere. I didn't, I went to India because that's just how it worked out. But, but I wanted, my mission was not so much. Well, let me just give a little context. So after five years of touring like a madman, I was just burnt out and disillusioned and, and, I wanted to be amazed again. That was the mission statement. I wanted to right. go to the other side of the world and see something that would astonish me. Right. And I had just happened, just by chance, I had happened to be reading this book about traditional Indian street magic. Um, and I thought, this is great. I'll, I'll go to India and I'll watch snake charming. I'll watch street performing. I will put myself in an environment where I'm the spectator. And I just want to feel like I, I want to feel about magic the way I used to feel about it. Yeah. So I go to India. And... I didn't intend to do magic for people there, but but one of the things I discovered is that it's really hard to it's hard to meet a new culture. And India was a very different culture than anything I had seen before. And so just I did the it was the same trick I did in school. I made the coin disappear for somebody and and I realized that traveling as a magician is an incredible way to see a culture because you get to you, it's like you get pulled inside very quickly. I made a coin disappear for someone, and he, he, he thought it was the greatest thing, and he wanted me to show his brother who, who owned a tea stand. So we went to his brother's tea stand, and I did magic for the customers, and then one of them invites me f- for dinner. You know, And very quickly, right. I fall off the tourist version of India, and it's like now I'm on this strange other path where I'm with the people who live there. And it's You like, weren't Blaine in the Amazon. No, no, yeah. no, no. You weren't yeah. going like, these people will be even more amazed. No, you just used Not it. at all. It was a tool for Yours me. Yours is yeah. like a nonverbal comedy. Of course, I would use my sense of humor right. to try to right. ingratiate myself. To just, just on a human level to yeah. have a yeah, connection yeah, yeah, yeah. because you don't know anyone for thou- you know, thousands of miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but you are in a culture that – was there an awareness that you're making a coin disappear for a boy – whose father may very well have a guru. Yeah. And that guru may levitate. Yeah, it, it depended a lot <laughs> on, on who I spoke to. Some people were just totally open to it, and, and I'd show them what I had to show them, and they were delighted by it. And, and Open to what? Supernatural or open to entertainment o- magic? Opened and unthreatened to the experience. It was just like... It was like just like performing here. magic in Cleveland. Yeah. yeah. Um, or wherever. I just picked yeah, Cleveland, yeah. but... But uh, there, there was a, there were a few instances where, um, 
you know, I'd perform for someone and they would say, listen, you need to understand that there are people in this, in this culture who, who exploit thousands of people by pretending to do magic. And so here I see you pretending to do magic. I know it's fake. You know, it's fake. What are you doing? And I had never had to confront that in America before. Uh, that, that was new and unexpected. Right. For sure. It was like, in a in a world where there's no baseball, you just start hitting a ball with a wooden bat, and it's like, what are you, what are you doing? Right. What is that about? Yeah, there's windows and right. children. It's like, oh, this is a pastime. I lie to people with cards. Right. Well, and and, and I know that's not what you're doing. You realize that magic is a cultural expression, just like food or music. Every culture has its own different expression of, you know, every culture has a magician figure, but it, it looks different from place to place. That's interesting. Yeah. Can you think of an example of that? That's very interesting. Well, I mean, I think of the tribal cultures of. Um, you know, in the book I talk about, um, I reference this uh, anthropologist who wanted to study the tribal shaman of Bali. And so he, he, he traveled there and pretended to be a, an actual magician. He, was a slight, he also was an amateur sleight-of-hand magician. Hmm. Um, and he would, he would use his sleight-of-hand magic to make connections with these shaman and learn about their work from the inside. Hmm. And, and, you know, the... the there are there are etchings that show Native American shaman using magic, like using a, a magic prop to enact one of their ceremonies to make it look like a snake disappears. And yeah. and they're not doing that to entertain the other members of the tribe. They're not trying to fool them. They're not trying to calm them. Like that experience of astonishment is part of what they're they're trying to do in their role as shaman, right? It's it's like in. Uh... Some cultures that time it for like a solar eclipse or something. Right. So it wasn't, if I'm hearing you correctly, wasn't to be like, oh, look, the gods are on our side. It was to add theatricality to something yeah, that they right. thought was real. Or, or impact or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, but It's like music is also emotionally manipulative. Right. And they're using tricks in a way right. that Cadence you would use and rhythm music. and dynamics. And, right. Yeah, right. 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 Music's um, a lie. Nobody <laughs> feels like this. <laughs> That's a lie, but, but we mean, accept it. And it is different in every culture. It's like it's an yeah. expression of what's going on in that culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, it, it, of course, the same is true for magic. But I just never considered that before. That's very interesting. Yeah. So you were saying, uh, what were you saying? Were you saying oh, you didn't go to. I'm surprised to hear you say that you just kind of picked India randomly because it's perfect. It is perfect. <laughs> yeah, you could not have gotten to I mean, Edinburgh. <laughs> I mean, look, maybe you could have. I, I but should I mean, also like, like they're not writing a lot of books about traditional street magic in edinburgh right, right like right it's sort of it it was it was random and it also wasn't i got the idea to go from a book i was reading but right there are many books that are written about indian right. street magic and so. what was your how was your heart nate did you believe you'd be i i say this now is the kind of punchline to where what i believe now yeah. having been exposed to some very reasonable seeming people who have seen I remember Krishnadas, who did this podcast, I was talking to him about magic. I got very harped on miracles for a while. My position now is I don't really fuck with them. It's not my path to go down the sparkly one right. with all the Shazam right now. I don't know. But I was talking to Krishnadas about it, and he was like, I would be in India, and uh, a teacher would hold out his hand, and then uh, like a little jewel would, um, what's the word? materialize right. in his hand no closing no opening no waving of a of a silk right. just in his hand and he said i have ghosts that bring these to me okay so that is 
as far as India stories go, that's like a two <laughs> out of a thousand. Right. But he was just talking so plainly. Right. And this is a human man that I know. Right. How comes Razor? Liar. Okay. Okay. We, do, we can do that. I'm like, why is this happening? Why would he lie about that? And he, where was your heart? <laughs> In terms of supernatural Magic. miracles? You're going yeah. saying it's, it's, it's baloney? Uh, no. That was a non-issue for me. It wasn't. I wasn't, it wasn't a, is it real? Is it fake? It wasn't that kind of a search. It was, it was more an aesthetic um, or spiritual. I mean, it, I don't want to call it a spiritual quest, but it, wonder is a very holy experience, of right? Of course. Well, we talked about it like a mini enlightenment. Right. So, so not having that and looking for that again is just necessarily sort of a spiritual quest. Am I hearing you correctly then that maybe we don't, you and I are similar in that that's not the point? For sure. But you see someone walking on Let's say you went to India, yeah. and there's a guy, yeah. and he walks on water. Yeah, the trouble for me is I can immediately think of three ways that I would go about creating that illusion. Walk out water. Or making a jewel appear in your hand without clo- – you know, like all of the – Right. The, I think – A jewel is a convenient thing. It's pretty easy to hide. And as dead, as and, magic-loving people, it's a light-refracting thing. Yeah. So making a stone appear in your hand – Already is a little bit more difficult, right. wouldn't you say? Yeah, I materializing. Mean, yeah, the um, the trouble that I had throughout my trip when I would hear because I would meet with a lot of people who claimed to be able to do these things or claimed to have seen them many times, and and I could always I could always find a way that I would have done it without magic powers, you yeah. know. And so that you're the pharaoh's magician. <laughs> That's you. You're it, that one line in Exodus. <laughs> <laughs> you just do it with a yeah, sleight of hand or a, a really compliant snake. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's your next book, A Really Compliant <laughs> Snake. That's so funny. But uh, so you didn't care? Would there, was your attitude, maybe I'll see something that is truly impossible? Did oh, you give that any thought? What would you have to see to believe in magic? Um no, that that wasn't an issue for me. I never thought I am going to go witness a miracle. I did think I am going to go on an adventure and and I am going to forget everything that I knew about magic and uh, and come at this with an open mind and just and, and and come at the experience of being a spectator. You know, I went there thinking that the the holy grail for me would be watching a street performance and being amazed by it in the way that audiences were amazed at my shows. So, so I already knew that I was going to watch fake magic, you know, or stage magic or fictional magic or whatever you want to call it. Um, what I found though, was that the parts of the trip that most amazed me or most made me feel that, that rapturous sense of wonder and awe had nothing to do with the performers that I was looking for. And, and it was, a direct result of being immersed in a culture and a set of experiences that were so far from what I knew in America that the only option was to wake up and to stay awake and to not go to sleep. You know, we're really good at falling into these habitual patterns and routines and, and, but if you're almost hitting a cow in a rigshaw, for you're sure. There. Yeah, right. You, there so is you nothing else in it. your mind. And, you and, and so it. very quickly that cultural immersion became far more amazing to me than the magic figures that I was meeting. You know, I saw amazing magic and I'm glad that I saw it. And it, the trip wouldn't have been the same without it. But the most amazing moments were 
the travel moments, the human moments of connecting with a person that I never would have met or traveling into the slums or, you know, bathing in the Ganges River in the foothills of the Himalayan mountains. Those travel and magic both have the ability to deliver this cataclysmic death blow to any sense of certainty that you have. Mm. And that loss of certainty was far more amazing than... Oh my God, you have to read this page. Let's give these people a taste. Let's give these good people a taste. Would you read that first paragraph? I just love that. It speaks to what you're talking about. Oh, man. So we're in a a town called Varanasi there. And uh, my friend Andy is a filmmaker. And on this trip, he wanted to come along and film film what it would be like to have an American magician travel through India. And so we're... We're setting off on on an adventure. So here's the beginning. For Ramdas enthusiasts, he's the Bhagwan Das. <laughs> There's always like this okay. more learned. He's more in the culture. Yeah, he's in. He's the Obi Wan Kenobi. He's or gregarious. The, right, yeah, yeah right. He's or the Han Obi-Wan. Solo, maybe. Yeah, he's right. your Han Solo. Right. Yes. As Andy and I drove through Varanasi one night, squeezed into a rickshaw with a man we just met an hour before, I reflected that I had no idea where we were going. It's only an adventure if you're willing to get lost, I had reasoned 15 minutes earlier. But as the rickshaw hurtled through the late evening traffic and the hotel disappeared further and further behind us, I came to understand that at this particular moment I was very lost, and the romantic spirit of discovery that marks the beginning of trips like this had given way to the doubt and uncertainty found so easily in the middle. I love that. That was was sort of the idea for the trip. I wanted to get lost. Yeah. I wanted to get good and lost. You know, sometimes, especially now, it's easy for the world to feel small and manageable and mm. controllable. And I, I wanted, I wanted some blank spots on the map. You know, on my map. Yeah. Um, internally and externally, I, I, I wanted the world to be bigger than I had decided it was. Mm. And uh, and that was the magic. Yeah. That. See, this is this is real life of pie stuff right now. Because I'm over here, having only read about the journey. You're the guy that went on the journey. So I'm here back in America eating grilled cheese sandwiches or whatever. Right. Not really. And I'm just going, yeah, but did you see any real magic? And you're going, you're life of pieing me. Yeah. You're going, well, there might have been a tiger or there wasn't a tiger. Right. Or there, it doesn't matter. It's not the point. Yeah. You're going, Jesus either did or didn't, but that's not the point. Right. The point is... The, the piece of art only exists once it's in you. The, the, that's when the message is received. And any good guru or mystic will tell you not to listen to a guru or a mystic, that the answer is inside of you, that the, their job is to hold up a mirror. Right. right. And, yeah. and it's funny. I, I heard that same analogy several times in India. I'm sure. That, that um, you know, I, I – so my, my MO there was I do magic for people and – um, so uh, let me start with this. So in in America, sometimes when you know magicians get hired to perform at parties, like your birthday party, yeah. And the way it works is you just do magic for one person, and they th- they say, "Oh, that's the greatest thing! Come show it to my friend over here." And you sort of get passed around the room showing yes. showing magic to people. So in the mornings, I'd I'd start doing magic, and and I'd get invited to someone's restaurant or or whatever. But I sometimes end up at an ashram or in front of this um, holy teacher, hmm. and and one one of them um, made the following analogy, and I don't think I put this in the book. Um, he said, you know, p- 
people talk about magic, um, imagine for a second that, that high above in the sky, there's the moon and then below the moon on the water, here's the reflection of the moon. And, um, people talk, people point to the reflection of the moon and say, there it is. That's, that's the magic. That's, that's the real thing. That's what we're all looking for. Not realizing that that's just a reflection of something right, that's, right, that's right. so much higher above. Right. And so, so yeah, I, I, I think trying to scoop it up, <laughs> right. Carry some of the water back yeah, in a yeah. bottle yeah. and missing the point, right. It's, missing the point. It's, it's, Even bringing water back from the Ganges. I mean, people talk about the Ganges being a holy, I have water from the Ganges in my house. Yeah. Not, nothing wrong with that. Sometimes that's the method that helps us, like a magic trick, reconnect to that feeling. Right. But all of it is back inside of you. Right. It's like that George, Har- George Harrison has that song about like being able to leave his house while sitting at his window. That's, he's talking about there's different types of travel, that inner travel. The, it's, it's so hard to talk about, but it's not literal, but it's transformative, and it's inside. And it, right, and it feels very real. And it's very real. There's that Joseph Campbell quote, and I'm going to... I'm going to butcher it, but the essence is that we're all looking for the meaning of life, or we all think we're looking for the meaning of life, but yeah. what we're actually looking for is the the rapturous experience of feeling alive. Yeah, I think you improved it, actually. And, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I think you did. You're welcome, Joseph. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and that's, you know, that's, you can get that with magic, but right. you can also get that on the other side of the world. Right. Uh, on an adventure. And you can also get it Sitting, uh, this is always my example because it's a very vivid memory of mine, being on an airplane, seeing a speck of dust in the sunbeam, you get the window seat, and you look at it and it looks like the planets, I'm not saying the shape of it is correct or anything, but you look at it and you go, that's us. Right. (laughs) But Jesus is always saying those with ears to hear. There's, you can say the truth, and I think what a lot of gurus and, and mystics discover like an illusion, like a magic trick, the explanation is actually very simple. Mm. I can tell you, Nate, we're all one. It's one thing, thinging itself. You can hear that, and then you can, or you can become it. It can become so true and so resonant inside of you that it's no longer about understanding it or being able to reproduce it or being able to explain it to someone else, but it just becomes your marrow and that's what I think is interesting. You can tell me, as you did, he had everyone say, say King of Diamonds. Right. Say it's the dentist thing. Uh, but the trick took you another place. Right, right. It had nothing to do. The facts of the situation were totally inadequate right. to explain the truth of the situation. And yeah. even so, this, this says I still have work to do. I want to know if you believe in holy men. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I just gave us, we both just co-created the beautiful, that's not the point. It was very beautiful, Pete. And yet, we (laughs) did it together. And yet, here we are going, are you open? I have two questions. Mm. And the second one's more fun. Do you believe in holy men? And what would you have to see? It's another way of coming out, what is the greatest magic trick in the world? What would you have to see to believe? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I alluded to this earlier, my problem with holy men is I can think of like when it comes to seeing any particular feat of magic, I'm, I'm a pretty good magician and, and I can come up with, you know, a few bad ideas and a few good ideas for, for all of those feats. And so I think 
it's like Jay-Z. Difficult takes a day, impossible takes a week. Yeah. You could figure it and, out. And you know where he got that. Who? Um, Jay-Z? Yeah. Where? Uh, it's possible that, that he and Burglis stole this from the same source. But the, the, um, the RAF, the British Air Force in World War II, had a motto that was like that. Oh, really? Um, the the impossible. What, what is like the difficult we do today? The the impossible takes just a little longer. Wow. Um, but David Burglis used that as his motto as well. Really? So, yeah. That's a serendipity. That's yeah. crazy. I I think it's fun. As to your question about what it would take for me to see, I don't think when when I think of the moments that have felt um, really just wonderful full charged with wonder and awe it's not it's not an impossible thing that i saw you know i love magic because it's a way of of giving that stars in the cornfield moment or giving that ganges in the himalayan mountains moment um of of accessing that but but for me i would feel closest to um to real magic out out into the night sky or in a in a mic through a microscope or through a telescope or, or you know that that would feel more real to me than someone whispering i'm going to i'm going to make a jewel come out of my hand right because that 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 language to me just immediately goes to sleight of hand it's interesting then it's actually we're talking more then about a frequency of existence being a magical place mm. Because me with the sunbeam and the dust or you on your back in the cornfield yeah. is more like a location than an effect. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to lead – we've made this point many times, but it bears repeating. You're trying to lead people into that place. Yeah. I, as a comedian, I'm trying to lead them into like a similar light-filled place where they're laughing and forgetting and, and just being in the moment. Right. I also wonder if somebody let – me, let me – now I'm going to take a stab. If I started in real time – speaking in unison with your thoughts that would be pretty good right that'd be a good trick yeah (laughs) yeah because this has to be what your notebooks are filled with sure i mean let's start with the effect right the idea i think i've probably said this before the idea that i i show you 52 cards you pick one it's the seven of diamonds i show you that they're all the seven of diamonds that's doable but that's a pretty good one it's great it's a good one I've got a notebook of impossible things that I want to show people that goes back to age 11. Really? Yeah. And some of them are in the, the lottery trick was in there. Um, some of the other pieces in my show are started from that place of thinking if I'm watching the stage right now as an audience member, yeah. what would, what would make me believe in magic? That's so funny. And some of them, I have no idea how I'm going to do, or some of them are halfway there. You know, Wait, can you share one? Yeah. I, uh, yes. I, let me talk about, uh, so, so one of my favorite books is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I don't know. And it's like Harry Potter for grownups. Um, it's this beautiful, it's a giant book. Um, but, but it's about, it's a, it's an alternative history of the Napoleonic Wars. But in this world, there is such a thing as real magic done by real magicians. And it's just like, uh, you know, you could, you could use magic to help fight the French in the same way that you could send the Navy to fight the French. Mm. But, but. Um, one of the magicians performs this feat of magic where he he takes a book and holds it up to the mirror and he says to the to the person he's performing this feat of magic for watch the um, watch the reflection in the mirror and 
he opens the book and shows it, holds it up to the mirror, and you can read the lines perfectly in the mirror, but when you look at the actual book you're holding, um, it's it's in mirror writing, as if the image of the book and the actual book traded places. Uh-huh. That to me is the that would be the most amazing magic trick. I, if you could do that for me, I would believe in real magic. If I picked up your, if book. you picked up my book and held it up in front of the mirror and caused the actual object to change places with the image, that that's impossible. Yeah, that's just like that, and that that feels pure. That's and, similar to an effect that you do with the with the swapping card. Right. So so you can see how I'm chasing that. Yeah. Step by step by step by step by step. So fun. Yeah. Some people are watching movies they've already seen. <laughs> <laughs> because the mirrors are a common thing sure. in magic. Sure. Because that is just everyday magic. It's, it's it's light particles and waves and it's a mystery and it's this thing and there it is. It looks exactly like our world. It's not like the TV. You don't look up close and it starts to look like little pixels. It's just reality. Right. So if you could swap a thing with a mirror, that would be pretty sweet. It would be pretty amazing. <laughs> Give me a year or so on that one. No, yeah, okay. That's, that's, that's excellent. <laughs> um, let me look at my notes before we get into the last, the last idea. Oh, you know what? Um, Rich Summer, so I asked him what to ask. And he was like, I don't know if he's going to want to talk. You meet this family. The magic family. Yeah. Let's call them the magic in, in family. In the slum, right? Shot in the slum. Yeah. yeah, towards the, So you kind of, again, here we are having the same conversation. It's like you find what you thought you were looking for, right? which is a magical slum family. Generations of secrets. But it was a family of magicians who had passed their secrets down for 3,000 years. 3,000 years right. of magic. Yeah. <laughs> Can ah. you imagine that? No. It's a long tradition. Yeah. It's a long Oral? Had it been written down? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it is, it's under some stone somewhere. Yeah. Like it's hidden well. This is real fun. Yeah. So you find these guys and then they do impossible magic for you. Yeah. Rich said something very interesting. He was like, I like the way he described it. He was like, it was like reading the contents of a magic catalog. He was like, this is exactly what Rich said. He's like, you read in a magic catalog, it's like produce fire in, your, in the palm of your hand, but then you buy the trick and it's like a, a cotton ball in ether and you're like, well, this sucks. <laughs> You saw uh, what appears right, to be the non-disappointing version. The non-disappointing tricks. version. Yeah. The grandfather comes out of retirement for you yeah. and does these tricks. Yeah. He, Rich was like, I doubt he'll talk about it, but you don't get very specific about what you saw. Sure. <laughs> so that's my first question. Sure. And then I'll ask you the second one. Okay. Well, so <laughs> I, I also want to say that some of the magic they showed me looked like it looked like it was 3,000 years old. And it wasn't, you know, magicians' techniques have come a long ways. And some of them felt obvious and So some of them, that's interesting. Yeah. Some of them were like, Val and I just watched Psycho. She had never seen Psycho. Okay. It actually really disturbed her. I regret it. Uh, but also not, because you kind of have to see Psycho. Right. But um, it's such a great movie. And every once in a while, there's just something. There's a part where Norman Bates runs into the house to talk to his mother. And he goes, Mother! Oh, God! Blood! Blood! And you're just like, oh, right, this is an old movie. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they just hadn't naturalized right. all the dialogue. Right. That wasn't a premium back then. The movie was already so far ahead. So you're seeing some blood, blood tricks, right. some tricks that are just like... That are just not very amazing. We have a better way to do that. Right. Okay. Right. Can um, you tell me one of those? Uh, yeah, there was this... Um, and, and I think context is important here. We're in a, a slum that's unlike anything I'd ever seen. And, and one of the magicians... Um, 
sat cross-legged with a cloth around his lap. And he had this basket and he kept turning the basket over. So it was sort of crotched down. And when he turned the basket over again, it would be filled with some delicious food or like a dessert. And he'd hand it out to the kids and they'd be squealing. <laughs> now it was obvious that he was sitting on all of this stuff and just loading it into the basket with his hand. I see. But, but you can imagine out, out in the middle of this environment where you don't have you know, sweets very often or dessert very often, that doesn't really matter. Who it's, cares? It's the, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Here it is. But but there were a few – there were two uh, – there were three pieces of magic, I will say, that, that really got me, that really just were – I mean, it, I didn't even know that I would be – it was enough finding these people and talking with them about magic. I, I sort of got what I was looking for just through the conversation, but um, but then they showed me, you know, all of their all of their material and they did – I'm sure and this you, was presented as material or were they like, we have powers? No, it was presented as material. And they and were like, we are magicians like you. That's why we got along so well. I yeah, see. we were tradesmen. We were, it was like two plumbers from totally different systems. It's you know? not the toe-to-toe like magic's real. No, it was like – Krishna's real. I'm sure I'm, – I mean I'm sure when you meet comedians, there might be a little rivalry. But there's also an acknowledgement that you've crossed a lot of the same bridges and solved a lot of the same problems and sure. worked through a lot of the same things. And so right. it's easy to be friends. Except it's so much less cool. See, this is one of the few times like magic inherently is seen as not as cool. Right. But I, if I met a comedian – you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm not saying it isn't. Right. But if I met a comedian in India, it would be some ham that's like – and then I throw feathers at everyone. Like, it would be stupid. <laughs> you found the one way that it's cooler always to be a magician is to find another craftsman and discuss your secrets. Right. So we're talking, so about, cooler. We're talking about technique. And I show them my version of um, – it's a classic of magic. And I – you know, Houdini made it famous in the West where you swallow a length of sewing thread and then you swallow, you know, a number of sewing needles – um, I use five in my show, but you know some people swallow. It doesn't matter. You swallow yeah. thread. You swallow sewing needles, and then you show your mouth is empty, and then you reach in your mouth and you you pull and you pull out the end of the thread, and as you pull it from your lips, threaded onto the length of thread are all of the sewing needles. Yeah, and and so that's amazing, and I use yeah. it to open my show, and I love this piece of magic. So I showed it to them, and it got no reaction at all. And, and, you know, they sort of nodded politely because they're trying to be kind. But, what? but then one of them, this guy about my age, says, that's, that's very nice. You have, you have good technique. Do you want to see how we do it? And <laughs> <laughs> so, then, so then the grandfather, this 82-year-old man who, who has stopped performing, but, but I'm here and we're talking. And so he agrees to, to show some of his material and he does he does the needle trick but he doesn't use thread and 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 he doesn't use sewing needles the way he performs it is this he shows his mouth empty and his mouth was empty like i know how this stuff works right like i i know how i would you know hide something right none of the techniques i understood explained his presentation so he showed his mouth empty and then he closes his mouth and then he starts chewing and produces not sewing needles but handful after handful of three-inch-long thorns like you'd break off from a tree. And to demonstrate how sharp they were, every time he pulled a handful from his mouth, 
handful. He, handful. Handful. Not one. Not one. Handful. Handfuls. Multiple handfuls of needles. And every time he did that, he'd take one and poke it into his hand to show that it was sharp enough to pierce his flesh. And he did this, you know, I don't, it could have been as few as five and as many as seven or eight times. But at the end, there was a small pile of these giant thorns at his feet and, and poking from his hand like a pincushion were, you know, five to seven of these. Oh, he left them in his He left them in as evidence. Like, look at what I'm producing every time. And, and staggering. Just jaw-droppingly good. But that wasn't the end. So, so he takes the needles out of his hand and drops them, wipes off his face and sort of gets um, composed and then closes his eyes, breathes in through his mouth and through his nose. And when he exhales through his nose, smoke comes out. At which point I just lose it like because I suddenly know where he's going because I've read about their version of the fire breathing thing and I didn't know if I was going to get to see it. But he does it again and smoke comes out of his nose. And then just in three coughing fits like a dragon shoots fire out of his, his mouth, maybe 12-inch jets of flame. Just and then that's it. And, and the thing I remember most <laughs> is that it was obviously painful for him. It wasn't. He wasn't like that stereotypical Las Vegas magician showing how cool he is by just right. suavely doing this. It cost him something. He was fighting for this. And and I have no I have no idea. I have no idea how he did this. Because, you know, normally when you see that, you see it's almost like a stunt, right? Like someone drinks kerosene and then spits it into a torch. But you see where the flame's coming from. Right. But there was no there were no matches, there were no lighter. He did the thorn trick and then fucking fire <laughs> so, so that was that was astonishing i just so take me through your process because yeah we're both going through it right now right as as appreciators yeah the, my first question yeah. as appreciators sure so his retirement is false yeah but but i mean i think in the same way that a chef never really retires like maybe yeah, you just cook around the home isn't maybe keeping five bunches of thorns in his well, fair enough. Right. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like if there is a magical device, like I, I would, I, and I'm not, I would never ask a magician to do a trick if we were just hanging out because right. you don't know what they brought with them. Right. Or, you know, there's, there's different things that you need. Right. Like I wouldn't say do the lottery. I'm going to name six numbers, do the lottery trick. Right. There's got to be an awareness in the same way that you wouldn't ask me to do my act. It's not right. right. Well, it would feel totally false to do prepared material. Exactly. In a social situation. Totally. You could and do something else, but it couldn't be the stuff you're doing. This is why table magic's fun. You take a salt shaker, you take a packet of sugar, whatever it is. That's, that's fine. But like this guy, what it, the reason I'm asking his retirement is false is like he has – he's loaded. His skills were, his skills were up. Now, just – Not only were they up, but his props were up. So, so the, they were – they were doing a show for me. It was like he knew you were coming. Right, all of the magicians in this family were showing me their their material. Yes, so he could have gotten ready for it. Right, but still, um, but still, right. He, I mean, I, I can't imagine it's easy to breathe fire. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. So. Yes, but as you, uh, as a magician, are trying to unpack it, as I'm sure, I mean, it would be awesome if you would breathe fire right now. It would change my life. Forever, I'm not. Right. I'm not asking you to. Right. Thank you for uh, not asking. You to. <laughs> next, next time. But if you did do it, yeah. I would have the same experience that you had. Right. And you had that experience. And when you're laying in bed at night, I'm not even asking you. I mean, you have to. You, you're just 
coming up blank. I mean, a guy is making fire. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to have some. There's got to be something. There's something. Yeah. This is what my magician friends say to me. There's something you're not seeing. Right. Which I love. Yeah. It's like, it's such a calm and good way to just be like, Pete, you're like, do you think you're making the story better? You're a magician. But did you just fill in a gap for me? I think, I think what happens, um, and you see this as a magician happen when other people see your magic. When you, when you do magic for an intelligent audience and it fools them. It's easier for them to elevate the skill of the magician in their retelling than it is for them to say, oh, maybe I just didn't see something, mm-hmm. right? Maybe, maybe he just did something that I didn't notice. No one wants to think they didn't notice something. Right. So that's why you always have seen the greatest magician. You know, you went to a party and, oh, he was the greatest magician I've ever seen. It's right. like you, you don't want to admit that you were fooled by a rookie. this rookie. Right. <laughs> So, so just in the retelling, you elevate it to, to protect your to own, protect ego, your own yeah. ego. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have considered that with this, this Indian material because I, I don't know, but more than anything, I remember how it made me feel in the moment. And I just, I couldn't stop laughing when, mm-hmm. like, I love that feeling so much, you know, when, and when, when you see a really great piece of magic and it just. For a second, you're not trying to figure it out. You're you're just lost right, in it. Right, and, right, right. And it's I, a timeless moment. I had that experience with both of those pieces. Yeah. Wow. Just yeah. So Rich's question. Thank you for going into specifics. Yeah. His question was, "Did it stick?" He was like, "If you," he's like, "Oh, I wish I could talk to Nate." And if I could ask him one thing, he would say, "Did it stick?" Yeah. We're talking about wonder. We're talking about awe and rapture. These things are temporary. Often. Yeah. You had these wonderful experiences. Did it stick? And if it didn't, do you, have you come up with more techniques to refresh it? Yeah, for sure. One of the one of the ideas that I came home from India that that were really important to me was the realization that um, that that wonder is such a slippery sort of ephemeral experience. You can't bottle it up and keep it. And if you could, it wouldn't be wonder. Yeah. So the idea is not to find it once and then say I've got it. But it's to keep looking for it. And it's to like re- swinging from vine to vine. Right. To re- it's a great way to say it. Yeah. Mm. Um, it, you can't just find it and then you've got it. Mm. It, it. It has to be part of your – just remember to look for it. Like right. I feel like that – if I could say one thing – and I mean this is what the book is. Like if, if you remember to look for it, right. you will find it. Isn't that so funny? The, one of the keys – Val and I were just talking about this. I think it's Eckhart Tolle. He's like – the first step to being a present person is just notice every time you're not present. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Isn't that good? Wow. Just go like, oh, I just wasn't being present just then. And you start to kind of like remember to remember, which is Harry Lorraine, I believe, the memory book. Did you read the Mm, memory book? No. He goes, people don't forget. They forgot to remember. They didn't remember to remember. Wow. So it's not that I forget that your name is Nate. It's that I never went Nate. Right. (laughs) Right. So he in. would go around and remember 150 to 500 names and people would be blown away. He's like, yeah, because no one remembers to remember. And if you get good at it, just like being present, right. you can have an incredible memory. Right. But your your experience was helping you remember to remember right. to that, have one. That, that's the lesson. And you don't need to go to India. You can find it anywhere. You know, you can find it in music or movies or basketball or poetry or sunrises or sunsets or conversation, right? You can help right. each other find it. Right. 
And which is so funny because you can miss it on all of those things too. I think that's important to, I think we talked about that. It's like, you can have an unbelievable experience. And I think that's one of the reasons why like rich, famous, exciting people aren't always, are often unhappy is because they're doing the next novel thing when really it's the ability to enjoy something simple. It's like, you've never been anywhere. <laughs> it's like you're just constantly moving around. You were never where you were. Yeah. And that's, that's more of a challenge. So what, what do you do when you're looking for it? Travel, obviously. Travel is a big one. Um, you know, I have two young children and that, that helps tremendously. Um, my, my two-year-old has this thing where every night before bed, he insists on uh, going outside and saying goodnight to the stars. Mm. And it, like, it sounds like a sort of a cliched, obvious thing, but, but it's, it's a cliche until you do it. And then like, why haven't I been doing this every night of my life? Like, why, why isn't this a foundational part of my day? And, uh, that's, you know, the, the equivalent of New York. I remember Timothy Levitch. I interviewed him here. He was in the movie, the cruise. It's a documentary. Really great. You should, if you want to check it out. Anyway, we were talking about like on those good, open, spacious, free days. I mean, inner liberation, we realize we're in Manhattan and we realize that there's a train that for $2 and whatever, $3 will take us anywhere. And then we're saying goodnight to the stars. But it's that spacious quality that helps us remember to say goodnight to the stars. So like the game to me is about being light enough to be like Legolas and walk on top of the snow. For sure. You know what I mean? Like walk and don't have your feet touch the ground. Right. Because what happens is, is, yeah, you get it. Yeah. So your kids help. Kids help. Travel helps. And, and also. That's beautiful. Just, just My re- wife is pregnant. I'm happy. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a girl and uh, she's about halfway through. Oh, man. So, so sleeping? Is your wife sleeping? Yeah, she's sleeping a lot. Okay. That's... <laughs> I left and she was. Because that's not always a given. You know, it's hard yeah. to sleep when you're Yeah, pregnant. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, she's not super big just yet. But uh, she's feeling, she's in that sweet spot. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Thank that... you very much. Yeah, there's a lot to say about that, but but they're wonder machines. Yeah, and also, I mean, the the biggest thing for me is that it's not in any one thing, or it's in all of the things, and it just comes down to to prioritizing it and and remembering to make that search part of you know you can it's almost like like when you mop the floor, you can do it absentmindedly, or you can mop the floor as like well as you like mop like the shit end. out of that floor, and I think and about that, that all the time that present mindfulness and an awareness that it's out there if you're willing to look for it. do what you that is the that mindfulness is huge do what you're doing do what you're doing right don't wash i like washing dishes just wash this dish yeah. and you can go to a monastery and and uh, you know get a robe and stuff you'll get the same thing right. wash the dish jonah ray did this podcast and he talked about seeing an old man uh tearing apart boxes and and Jonah was also tearing apart his recycling, and he's ripping it, and he's <laughs> he's hitting himself in the face because he's trying to get through with it. Right. And he looks at his neighbor, and his neighbor's just tearing boxes. Right. And when you see somebody that's really in their body, and in like we said, we're right on the edge of the flame, like the moment is burning up right in front of us. And when you embody that, and you just tear up boxes, that's ecstasy. That's the op. That's freedom and joy. Yeah. That's the opposite. I don't mean to shit on my dad, but that's the opposite of collecting Hard Rock Cafe jackets. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because those are fucking bullshit anyway. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Right. 
it's you on the back. You are, you on your back in the field is free, completely free. Yeah, and you can find that anywhere. It doesn't have to be stars. It can if be, you cultivate right. the openness, to right. it. absolutely, it right. doesn't have to be stars. It can be the train or whatever it is, wherever you are in the city. Um, and okay, so I don't want to keep making give more answers. Did you have something else to say on that? No, I. <laughs> I, I mean, I can talk about this forever. But <laughs> well, the book is great. The book has the book gives me that feeling, like a good Wes Anderson thing is when you read about someone paying attention and being present, you start to notice. It's one of the ways I'm surviving New York this time. Surviving, I love New York, yeah. but there's different ways to appreciate it. And Val and I go around and we just go, everywhere you look is a short story. Right. We were walking down the street and we heard this woman go like, I'm in a very aggressive attitude right now and I haven't eaten and it's almost one. She's just on the phone. We're like, everywhere you look. Yeah. And we were trying to be spacious. When we're tight, it's not there. Yeah. It's just a woman in my way. Right. When you're a- awake. Right. It's a it's a hilarious right now she's a character and you're right exactly yeah. and yeah. you are the only one with tickets to that I love that isn't that good I love that that's great that's I'm with you I'm trying to find the next vine all the time I'm right there next to you let me look at my notes because then we're gonna get out of here mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how we met Houdini flower lottery trick how do you do that <laughs> gonna be on eBay after this. Um, the, f- the final thing we like to talk about is the meaning of life. Uh, we're just about two hours, so we don't have to get nuts about it. I don't want to take your whole day sure. here. Do you have is any lens? What do you teach your children? What will you teach your children? What is this? We're talking about why is there anything. Yeah. Do you have a concept of a creator or, a, or an energy? or a, Is there a story that you like? Uh, in terms of religion what's really going on what's really going on yeah and it doesn't have to be religion it can be completely religionless but wow you're seeing a magic trick which is this yeah and then later we talk about it to our friends how do you fill in those gaps between the single cell organism and Nate Staniforth talking into a microphone yeah sure I mean I one of one of the ideas that um that I I came on in India but has been important to me ever since is the realization that I really don't know anything yeah. that, that it's, it's so easy to, to fall back into the safety of your certainties and to build an entire world and an entire life and an entire cosmology built only out of what you know for sure. And, and what you miss there is the realization that, that there are gaps in all of that and, and that none of it is solid or as stable as you think it is. And, and, um, in the, in the uh, what, is it, what is it called? Um, there's this thought that when when you realize you 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 know nothing, that rather than acknowledging a loss of knowledge, what you actually get is a far more accurate perspective on the scope and the size of everything, and how small you are, and how big it all is. Hmm. And and I love that because you know you you know you talk about this in the book. You can lie on the field and look up at the stars and, and you can all, you can feel insignificant in that size. We also need to remember that in all of that eternity above you, um, you, you and all of us are the only ones who can think or hope or feel or love or 
doubt or believe or act. You know, like everything else is condemned to this eternity of reacting. You know, particles bouncing around according right. to the laws of physics and biology, and and somehow here we are, living and 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 having options and choices, and that that is a, a mystery that I can't even begin to approach. Yeah, awareness. Yeah, we ha- we are aware. Yeah, yeah, and just even being aware of your insignificance is a fucking miracle. Yeah, not really reflected in too many other places in nature. Yeah. The rest is just a rock hitting Jupiter. <laughs> it's pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts. Yeah, life is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love finding those um, cracks, I guess, like, like trying to wrap your mind around consciousness or trying to ride, wrap your mind around free will. Um, you know, those... Uh, Neil Stevenson. You know Neil, Neil Stevenson? It's a science fiction, sort of science fiction author. Um, he talks about both of those as being these labyrinths that you can get lost in. Mm. And, and I love that process of getting lost, of, of moving myself well out beyond the boundaries of where I am certain and, and just, you know, knowing that I don't know. Yeah. I remember that that's a green light you have to give yourself is to have dangerous thoughts. Yeah. Like, like meaning you were told it was one way and there's something very sacred in going, what if it's not that way? Yeah. You know what I mean? Even if, I, I mean, if you're told, like I was to believe in a, a God in a certain framework for the universe, I remember being at camp and the first time somebody was like, how do we know this isn't the first real day and all the other days are just like an implant? Talk about science fiction. Yeah. Like it was just like, like you woke up and you were this guy, but tomorrow, tomorrow you might wake up and you'll be, you know, Melania Trump. Like, you don't know. Maybe you're just her for a day. It's a disturbing thought. <laughs> so many levels. <laughs> It's terrifying. That's why she's always fleeing. Oh god. Because it's a new it's a new her and she needs to go. You know what I'm saying? Uh but but like it's kind of hard for me to remember. But there was a time when I thought that there were things that you just don't think. Mm. It actually starts kind like you're of, not allowed to think or you don't shouldn't think. Don't think that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you believe that there's a certain thought like blaspheming the Holy Spirit means you go to hell. So right. it's like that's that means your thoughts and your beliefs have like these huge consequences, so you better like keep it in the lines. But then you get those, you meet those first sort of like Duncan Trussell was one of those people for me that like is like really out there and he seems okay. Right. And then you start kind of following their lead and having more and more thought experiments and more and more freedom. And then you have the freedom to go, I don't know. And, and, and you find more beauty in the unknowing than the knowing, which right. is what I hear you say. Yeah. It's like, you know, people talk about the, the mystery of God. And that to me is far more accessible than the certainties. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, I can relate to mystery. I feel like everything's a mystery. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard to really know. Hard to really know. Yeah. It's ruining it. If you lasso a cloud and yank it down, it just becomes water and it's boring and it's not a cloud anymore. It's like I was saying, do you believe in holy men? Like we're back to missing the point. In the same conversation, we've gotten the point and I've lost the point. You know, you're hearing it. Yeah. This, is, this is the ebb and flow of life, but God is a mystery is a, is a, is a, for what it's worth. I think it's a lovely answer. Um, the final, final question we ask, you feel good? I feel great, Pete. How okay, do you good. Feel? Oh, I feel wonderful. I, um, I'm not really recording many episodes, but I really wanted to talk to you. So I'm glad that we got to do it. Yeah. The final, final is I just say, can you remember the hardest time you've laughed? And I, this is the one caveat I give. It doesn't have to be a good story. 
I'm not saying tell me. I'm not saying make me laugh. I'm saying how old were you? Where were you? Who were you with? Maybe what happened when you think of yourself crying with laughter? What what was it? The most recent um, is my my two year old um, has a Darth Vader mask, which is just it's it's the most incredible mashup of sweet wonderful boy and then here's the face of ultimate evil in the universe you know <laughs> so he wears he wears this around everywhere and, and you know you'll see you'll hear him walking down the hall and i'm glad he's coming in and then in walks the dark lord <laughs> there have been so many moments just recently where and you have to keep a straight face right because yeah. no one who's wearing a darth vader mask wants you to look at them and break into laughter. Like, yes. You feel powerful in a Darth Vader man. Yes. But there have been a number of instances where I have to, you know, speak very seriously and earnestly to Darth Vader and then go to the kitchen and just just die. Just <laughs> absolutely die. Uh, Buddy, I need you to flush, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he starts trying to choke you with his hand in the air. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. Yeah. I love that. It's pretty great. I'm looking forward to some kid life. I, I, like you going to India, I'm ready for some adventures. I'm ready to be lost. Yeah. And I, I think having a kid is going to be a lot of that. For, for certain. Yeah. I can promise that if nothing else. Oh, that's so. great. I feel like Larry King. The book is Here is Real Magic. Great title. That, yeah. Great book. Yeah, thank you. You can buy it. Did you do an audiobook? I did. It just, it just came out a couple days ago. Have oh, you wow. Have you ever done that before? Long no. form narration? No. Yeah, it's, it's a hateful process. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, you can fuck up and stuff and get mad at yourself. Right. Because when you read out loud you know, to your friends or to your wife or to your kids, if you make a mistake, it's fine. You yeah, just you go just on. They going. forgive you. But an audio book is like an exact recording. It's like a document of the book in audio form. So yeah. I've heard that, that they... Yeah, I, I want to have some free reign with it, but you can't. Yeah. I know uh, Rob Bell, who does them, will be a little bit more conversational when it comes to the chapter announcements. Okay, yeah. But then when it gets in there, somebody's right. stopping you. This is a text. That's a period. <laughs> yeah, I need <laughs> right. to feel the period. Right, and you want to say, listen, I wrote this fucking book. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I'll change it. I'm changing it. <laughs> yes. Well, congrats. Thank you very much. And thank you. And how do you do the lottery? I'm just kidding. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. And would you say keep it crispy? It's how we end. The I absolutely will. Keep it crispy, Pete. <laughs> you made it personal. You too. I'm so crispy. <laughs> I've seen